and welcome everyone to another episode of the Kuehl Show. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. And before we get too far into this episode, this episode of Hashtag TKS, I should probably make it known that if you, of course, follow us on social media, you probably know about this. But this episode is not live. This is a recording. This is where you say, we're live here on 12 Ounce Sports. But we are, well, we may be live if you're watching the recording on our usual Monday night time slot. But I'm actually recording this episode on Sunday night. Reason being, because if you're watching this live right now, and you probably see in the chat right now, I'm actually working right now. So in the future, I am doing something else. Oh, I thought, thought I saw a spider on the ceiling. But don't worry, we still got a lot of great content today. So obviously, a lot of this stuff may be outdated by the time we get to it. We'll obviously bring that a little up later on. But so just bear with us. I know it's a little bit crazy times. We should be going live next Monday with our usual episode of TKS. So we have nothing to worry about there. Knock on wood. That said, make sure you still, you know, tweet us at The Cula Show. Go on Facebook at The Cula Show. Make sure you like us on Instagram and like all of our stuff at The Cula Show because, well, you know, we like to hear from you guys and always follow us and use the hashtag TKS when you watch the episode, whether you are watching, which already may be up on our YouTube channel or across our social media, whether you're listening to us on your favorite podcatcher, thank you very much. Use the hashtag TKS when you talk about it. If you are watching us on 12 Ounce Sports on our Monday night show, which is still probably what we're on right now, make sure you thank us for wa- thank you for watching on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or if you want, you can watch on Zingo TV, channel 761. Use the promo code 12OUNCE12OZ to sign up for free on Zingo TV. Seriously, how is that not a marketing ploy by us? I mean, we should think about that. But we got a lot to get to today. But first, we must thank our sponsors for today's show, mybookie.ag, right there down in the corner. NFL just wrapping up today while I'm watching this. But, of course, you're watching on Monday. There's one Monday night game tonight. But make sure you go on there, mybookie.ag. Use the promo code 12OUNCESPORTS. Sign up for free. Win and get paid using mybookie.ag. And, of course... 12-ounce sports there in the corner, right up there. They got a lot of cool stuff. They've got some new stuff they got coming up here. And, uh, of course, 12-ounce sports, they always got great stuff. I should have looked this up beforehand. Ah, They have a new Create Beast apparel line where they have, like, T-shirts, like like what we have here, and sweaters, like stuff that you see us wear by Second Street Leather Company. How about Create Beast Second Street Leather Company? The tongue is not where I didn't have coffee before this because usually on Sundays I only have one cup of coffee and I'm realizing that it's starting to wear on me a little bit. But Create Beast, cool new swag on there. Go check it out, secondstringleather.com to get all of your awesome swag and awesome apparel items using Second String Leather Company, hashtag crafted from the crease. And of course, we should always mention, since I did mention their cool stuff, I should mention our cool stuff. How about we look at our awesome merch? Look at that. We have merch teespring.com slash stores slash the cool show. Make sure you do the dash cool dash show the cool show teespring account where you can get awesome swag like this stuff here, like the awesome logo. The one Alex has got going to get my sweater coming in here soon. It's going to be great. Perfect time for fall and winter second string leather company, mybookie.ag and your good friends here at TKS on today's program. We're going to have an interview here in just about half an hour from now. We're going to be talking to Rachel Anderson 
From Access Hockey MI, her third appearance on the show, we're going to break down the Red Wings draft picks from this past weekend because, well, you know, we'd like to hear her thoughts on it because, obviously, Lucas Raymond was a little bit of a surprising pick for us, or at least for me, because I thought, hey, Cole Perfetti sounds like a guy that's going to go for sure. I believe I was 8 for 10 on draft picks, at least in the first 10, the top 10 of the first round the last week. Uh, I can say last week now of the, of the NHL draft. And I'm pretty sure I was right on eight of the guys that were in the top 10. The problem was the order was not correct. I believe I had Alexi Lafreniere right. And no, Marco Rossi wasn't drafted. I was not right at all with where the picks were. Cole Perfetti did make it in the top 10, was drafted by the Winnipeg Jets. And of course, that was cool on their part because he was drafted by Dale Howarchuk's late wife, or da- the late Dale Howarchuk's wife, excuse me, got my words mixed up there. All sorts of great stuff in that front. But like I said, we'll talk to Rachel about the Wings picks. And of course, silly season is at its peak. We have trades and signings from those trades. We have re-signings. We have free agent signings and a couple that we're still waiting on. But by the time you're watching this on 12 Ounce Sports, it probably already happened. So it's probably outdated. So let me know in the comment section. Or excuse me, let old past Tyler know in the comment section of what happened and say, I'm like, man, Tyler, how could you not suspect that this was going to happen in this way? Oh, we got all sorts of good stuff here. Actually, it's funny. I usually look at the clock while I'm recording this. I actually have to look at the recording monitor here to make sure we don't go well over. Cause I'm pretty sure. Uh, oh man. I, I am so far off with time. We're going to, I think we should be under two and a half hours for this week's show of the Kula show here on 12 ounce sports or just the Kula show. YouTube channel. I keep saying 12 ounce sports because I'm so used to being live and now it's gotten to me where I don't know what I'm doing on here anymore. I feel like I could just stop right now and completely cut it and you wouldn't even realize anything. I mean, then again, if you really watched it closely, you could be like, wow, he definitely edited there. But let's get to the trades. The trades are the stuff we're going to start off with first because the fact that, well, you know, it's the signings. I feel like we're gonna need a whole hour for and Rachel Anderson's interview is about an hour long because we already pre-recorded it. So I will say that that was already recorded late last week. So I know how long it's going to be so I can make sure I can fit everything around it, which is nice. Let's start off with a couple of bigger trades that happen. We'll kind of throw in some small ones here as well. One trade that kind of caught me by surprise, Nick Bonino getting traded to the Good Lord. There we go. Got traded to Minnesota. I was looking, I'm like, looking at my notes. I'm like, wow. I'm, I'm telling you guys, Sunday, there's a reason why we don't do shows on Sundays because I'm just completely lazy. I just sit on my couch, watch football, and do nothing. And that's pretty much what happened today before recording this episode. So Nick Bonino gets traded to Minnesota, and he went along with a 2020 second-round pick and a 2024th-round pick to the Minnesota Wild, the and then the Nashville Predators received Luke Coonan, who was going to be a guy that they were going to have to look at, who they just had resigned, if I'm not mistaken, a 2023rd round pick. So the 2022nd round pick that went to Minnesota became Marat Kuz... Oh, gosh. Kuznadinov? Kuznadinov. Marat Kuznadinov. That was the Minnesota second round pick. The fourth round pick ended up getting traded to Detroit, which became Emil Vero, which we did talk about with Rachel Anderson when we see her interview. Nashville's 2023 round pick ended up being Adam Willsby. So, you know, it's an interesting trade because we'll get to the pit or the, one of the signings later from Minnesota, which makes it really interesting because I don't know if, I mean, Minnesota, they add Nick Bonino. So that's a guy that you bring into your lineup that's got veteran presence. He's not a bad player still. 
And Nashville gets Luke Coonan. He's kind of an underproven player. And a Nashville Predators team that I'm not going to say is rebuilding, but they are not ready to make to make a claim that they're going to push for the playoffs. I think Luke's going to really develop slowly. So interesting to see what Benino does in Minnesota. Because like I said, we'll get to Minnesota here in a second. It's a really interesting development going out of there. And Luke Coonan in Nashville and see where they're going because they got a little bit of development over there with the Predators. Because remember, they just drafted Yaroslav Askarov. So the big, probably the biggest Russian goaltending prospect. And there's some, and well, Putin said he's comparing him to uh, Ladislav Tretiak, which is a little bit far of a stretch because A, he catches with the wrong hand, Mr. Putin. And two, Vladislav Tretiak was probably the best goaltender ever. So I don't know if you want to say that or not, but certainly the best goaltender to never play in the NHL. Erica Branson goes to Ottawa for a 2021 fifth-round pick from the Anaheim Ducks. Ottawa kind of giving a little bit of, I mean, they I know they didn't re-sign Mark Borowiecki, but they add a little bit of depth to their defense, especially on the right side. And the Sens, of course, we'll get to another trade they did here in just a second. Ryan Murray. This one was a shocker to me. Ryan Murray going from Columbus to the New Jersey Devils for another 2020 fifth-round pick. 2021 fifth-round pick, excuse me. I was kind of I was shocked on that one. Ryan Murray, a top five pick, former top five pick, and a guy that, yeah, he's not been, you know, like a Zacharensky type defenseman. You know, Seth, he's nowhere near Seth Jones caliber, but has still has a lot of promise, I would think. But obviously Columbus has to worry about their cap situation and the flat cap made made is the reason why you see a lot of these moves happen. So it'll be interesting to see how Ryan Murray fits in with the New Jersey, New Jersey Devils team that lost Andy Green last year and is, has a little bit very inexperienced defenseman. So maybe he can provide some veteran experience and some veteran talent to that Devils defense core. Lias Anderson going to Los Angeles from the New York Rangers for a 2020 second round pick. That ended up being Will Kyle, who came from the Windsor Spit, who got drafted by the from out of the Windsor Spitfires. Holy cow, Tyler! Words. Hey, Will Kyle gets drafted by the New York Rangers. Lias Anderson, a guy that, you know, there was some pro, there was some promise that there was with him and, you know, with the Rangers kind of coming up on the rise, but maybe just they realized that that was going to be a cap situation later on down the line. So not a bad move by them. Austin Watson goes to the Ottawa Senators from Nashville. A couple, like I said, one of the other trades that Nashville did. The 2024, 2021 fourth round pick going to the Predators. Ottawa getting Austin Watson. I know what I've said about Austin Watson in the past, and I still stand by it, whatever that whole situation was. But in terms of the on-ice product with Austin Watson, you have a tough guy who can play down the middle and play on the wing, right-handed shot, bigger size, can grind it out. And, you know, for a team like Nashville, you just – or not Nashville, Ottawa, You need, and this team is starting to build kind of an identity, and you're going to need guys that can play those bottom six minutes and play them effectively, which carries to the big trade that Ottawa made – they acquire Matt Murray from the Pittsburgh Penguins for Jonathan Gruden and a 2022 second round pick. This was a move that I'm not saying nobody expected, but I'm pretty sure a lot of us didn't expect it to go this far. I don't think we expect I don't think we expected Matt Murray to go to Ottawa. We thought he was going to go to maybe a team that could afford a contender because don't forget he was a restricted free agent when this deal was made. So they were trading his signing rights to the Ottawa Senators. And because they didn't, obviously, they moved on from Craig Anderson to the Senators. And now, and someone, 
someone made a very I forgot who tweeted this out, and I'm I'm not gonna bother looking it up at this point, but someone said to Toronto Maple Leafs fans and then like the like with the stars on the side of it, looking at Leafs fans looking behind them, looking at Ottawa, images may look closer than they or may be really closer than they appear. Because the Senators, all of a sudden, they have a starting goaltender. Whether Matt Murray's was the same Matt Murray in 2016 or 2017, that's neither here nor there. He's still a very good goaltender. You get tougher on defense. You get a little bit more offensively with a guy like Austin Watson up front. You draft Tim Stutzel, and you know you you have stinking Starkin Alex Turback with that. You are adding so much offensive talent. You still have Drake Batherson waiting in the minors. There and, and you have Brandstrom as well. There's a lot to look forward for this Ottawa Senators team. And I'm not saying this team's going to be a contender next year, but this team is going to be a lot more competitive. This team is going to be a tougher team to go up against. This is not like Detroit and Ottawa that we saw last season. It's not going to be easy two points. We'll get to Detroit here in just a second. But this move, I like this move if you are Pierre Dorian. I'm not saying this move is going to change it and change everyone's outlook on him, but it shows that he's trying to make this team better. Matt Murray did sign an extension, of course, hence why this is such a big deal. Four years, 6.25 million AAV with that contract. That was around what people were thinking as well with Matt Murray when he was playing well. And that's why Pittsburgh realized they were not going to be able to afford him and Tristan Jari. So this pretty much points the finger and saying, all right, Jari, had an all-star season. You better keep doing it, even though, yes, Jari was the cheaper of the contracts, and Pittsburgh, I'm not saying they're starting to slow down a little bit, but obviously Jim Rutherford sees something and says, hey, we're not going to be nearly as good as we are. We're still going to be competitive. We'll still be a playoff contender, but clearly we're not going to be willing to spend the big money to go on and be an NHL, to be a Stanley Cup contender. But, I, man, this makes them look, makes them look legit, makes them look legit with a starting goaltender like Matt Murray. Another big contract, or another big trade, excuse me, was Paul Stasny going back to the Winnipeg Jets. A a con, a, a trade that I, you know, I, that was going to be a whole cap situation, I know. And he gets to go back to the Jets. Carl Dahlstrom and a conditional 2022 second round pick go to go back to Vegas. And let me see if I can find that deal. I, I couldn't find it before. The condition has yet to be determined as I check on my good friends at catfriendly.com. Those guys have been absolutely on point over the past 48 hours and or 48 hours and change, making sure they have all the signings correct. But this is a great move for the Jets. You add it, you know, because with obviously the possibility of losing a guy like Patrick Line, you're going to need to add more offensive depth. Paul Stasny right now still has one more year at 6.5 and then as a UFA after the season. So whether or not the Jets want to move on from him or not after that, that obviously remains to be foreseen. Obviously, you have Kyle Connor signed through 2026. You have Nikolai Ehler signed through 2025. Shifley and Blake Wheeler both signed through 2024. So there is a lot to look at here. You saw Patrick Liney on for one more year, and then obviously that was the bridge deal. But there is talks about moving him on. Winnipeg right now going into this season has a grand total of $27,000 in cap space, and they still have to sign Jack Roslevic, but there's a lot of talk that he may get traded. You have Sammy Niku on the back end, who is an RFA, but obviously it sounds like there's going to be some movement still with the Winnipeg Jets. You have your goaltending situation locked up. You have LTIR and Brian Little 
And that's a big question mark because there's a lot of people saying that he may not play next year if not everything's right with him. So that may give you a little space with LTIR. So that all, like I said, all remains to be foreseen. But I like the deal because you had more scoring if you're the Winnipeg Jets. I feel like I'm flying through this too quickly. How much time do I got before the break? Okay, I got about another 10 minutes or so. So that gives me enough time to break down the last three big trades. Three? I've been kind of skipping around my list here that I got going. Andreas Janssen to the New Jersey Devils for Joey Anderson. This was a deal that, you know, when Casper Kapanen and Andreas Janssen signed their contracts, they're very, they're very team-friendly, cheap deals. That I thought, hey, this will be good for the Leafs. They'll be able to hold on to those guys, be able to use them, and use them and maybe sign them when their contracts are up. Well, and then they signed Mitch Marner for stupid amounts of money. So that's why they had to move a guy like Andreas Janssen. Even though it was $3.4 million, if I'm not mistaken, so they moved him to New Jersey. They get a guy named Joey Anderson. And I'm going to be honest with you guys right here right now. I didn't know who this was. Joey Anderson. He's in a perennial American leaguer. Played 18 games last season, 34 the year before that with the New Jersey Devils, with the big club. Put up 34 points in 44 games with the Binghamton Devils in the American Hockey League last year. Six points in its 18 games last year in New Jersey. Thankfully, we have good resources for this. We were able to go on to our good friend Rachel Dory, at Rachel Dory on Twitter. She had put up together a thread. Don't forget, Rachel Dory was a member of Hockey Ops with the New Jersey Devils, so she was actually there when Joey Anderson came into the fold. And I'm going to read off a couple of her notes here. Anderson comes to Toronto with a chip on his shoulder, wasn't really given a chance to develop in New Jersey for various reasons. However, when New Jersey signed him, they viewed him as someone who could play like Blake Coleman. He was a great player at the NCAA level and the World Junior level, but fell off due to a lack of development. Can't write off a player whose numbers are that because of lack of development. Paraphrasing there. Skates well, wins a ton of puck battles, and there's a lot of people that have started to go into his highlights saying, like, all right, this guy could play like a Blake Coleman and like maybe a Zach Hyman. And a guy, well, therefore, not a massive deal or not a massive contract that the Leafs would have to look forward in the future if they would want to pursue this guy to be an actual asset. Obviously, if you're trading Andreas Janssen, you're trading Mango, you want to have, bring a guy back that can not necessarily fill that role, but actually be an NHLer. You don't want to just trade away an everyday NHLer like, like Janssen is, because let's be honest, he's going to get a lot of time with that Devils team, and if he puts up 30 goals next season, don't be shocked, guys. But you're bringing him in, and the Leafs have a, Rachel Dory says also, the Leafs have a robust development staff, and if he develops into the quote-unquote Coleman type, he would be very good for the Leafs. She firmly believes that he can be a strong piece on the third line and can shut down other teams and contribute as well. Won't make any risky decisions like the previous left, the third line left wingers did, which for a brief moment there did include Andreas Janssen. So long story short, the Leafs aren't getting nothing, but they're getting, they're not, they're losing obviously a big piece in Janssen. But like we talked about with guy, with Matt Murray getting traded and another trade about to get to a couple of trades we're about to get to in a second. And Paul Stasi getting traded. This is just teams moving cap because they need to be able to function and not get penalized for going over the cap in the next couple of seasons with the flat $81.5 million. So sucks. I mean, the Devils are getting a great player at Andreas Janssen. They're getting a guy that's tenacious, quick, skilled, a guy that can play in your top six and be a scorer. 
on the same token, can go back down your bottom six and play tough minutes and play shutdown roles because he's quick, he's hard on the puck, and he can be an absolute pest to play if you really want to. That's why I thought him and Kapanen, when they came up together, when they came back up together, excuse me, I'm like, these guys could be something. These guys could be a real good part, real good depth players on the Leafs team. And now, Kapanen going to Pittsburgh, he may get some um, big-time minutes up there with the Penguins. Andreas going to the New Jersey Devils, who have nowhere to go but up. Hey, look at that. He'll get a lot of time himself on the offensive end. Those guys could definitely blossom in some everyday NHLers and everyday NHL scores with the time that they're going to get. Last two trades we're going to get to. How about this one? Nikita Zadorov going to the Chicago Blackhawks. Oh, boy. Well, all right. So Zadorov and Lindholm go to Chicago. Colorado Avalanche receive Dennis Gilbert, minor leaguer, and... Brandon Sod. Well, the boys can't be back together forever, eh? Catering taste, bud. Look at that. Oh, man, look at that. What a tough deal. So this trade here is interesting because I I figured that Colorado, Joe Sackick, and Jerry Bender, they were going to want to keep him around because he's a big defenseman, can play offensively, but also is very physical and very tough in his own end. Obviously, he's gotten himself in some trouble sometimes, so I don't know if that had any, anything to do with it. But I didn't think they were going to give him up, though. Zadorov ended up signing a contract, a one-year deal with the Hawks, $3.2 million because he was an RFA, so he had to sign with his team. And this makes it really interesting. Now, I don't know if this makes the Hawks better or worse, but it does help the Hawks add more pieces to their back end. Then again... um. The Hawks, <laughs> the Hawks defense ain't gonna save squat, we'll, and I and I'll we'll get to it in a second because we're gonna be talking about. Well, I guess I can mention it. Corey Crawford doesn't resign with the Hawks. We'll get to who he signed on to later. I'm just gonna quick jump on their cap friendly to tell you who Chicago has on defense. Chicago right now, yes, they have an older Duncan Keith. They still have Calvin DeHaan. They still have Connor Murphy. They still have, now they have Nikita Zadorov. And Adam Bockfist. So that's your five. You're right now. Your five. They have Nick Sealer signed to a uh, 725 grand contract. He's your other. He's your third pairing left defenseman. But people are like, oh man, this is a great decor. Now the Hawks got good defense. They got good scoring up front. This team could be something. They could be something right here. Who's your goaltenders, bud? You have Connor Delia. Listen, great young prospect. Hasn't had a whole lot of time at the up at the NHL level. So maybe they'll give him a chance. Malcolm Subban. Those are your two goaltenders. I'm pretty sure, guys, please someone, if you are watching this right now on 12 Ounce Sports, throw it in the chat if I'm wrong about this. $1.85 million between your two starting goaltenders, two, your two NHL goaltenders. Is that right? Like, is that the, che- no, pardon me, is that the cheapest tandem in the league? I'm pretty sure it is. I think it would have been in Ottawa had they not gotten Matt Murray. But now you have Subban and Dalia. That may be the cheapest tandem in the league. Because I can name you off pretty much all the starters right now, and I can tell you that every star in the NHL is making at least $3 million. This is the cheapest tandem in the league. The Hawks, I don't... And listen, I get it. Crawford was not the best in the regular season. And yeah, he didn't. He kind of bottomed out in that first round, but he played well. I can't... Yeah. The Hawks are... I just... I don't... I have no confidence in the Hawks this year, guys. I... Apologies for all those that that are thinking, oh, but Tyler, what if they're... They're not. They're not going to be good. They're not going to be... I don't think... I mean, they'll they'll probably finish where they did this year as they did last season. 
The only reason why they got in the playoffs were able to stun the Atlanta was the twenty fourteen playoff format. They're not gonna that's not they're not gonna have that leisure this year, guys. They're not gonna make the playoffs because they don't have goaltending. Whether you have your offense up front, whether you have a bolstered up defense up in the back end, the goaltending is gonna be a problem. I listen, so Malcolm Subban had a couple good games with the Vegas Golden Knights in that expansion season, but since then he <sighs> eh? Whereas why why do you think the the Knights were so bad before Robin Leonard came back or got traded to him? Because when Flurry was bad, Subban couldn't pick up the slack. I'm just saying, guys, if you're Hawks fans out there, I'm sorry. You're not just don't let this season, this playoff run the way they made to the first round, don't let that be a thing of saying, hey, we're gonna be good now. No. Nah. I'm sorry. I, that's whether well, that, that calls me bitter old sleepy Tyler on a Sunday, just kind of sour towards you. I don't I don't have faith in the Hawks this year. And Colorado, you get Brandon Sod and I, you don't get anything from that. He's old. He's not good anymore. He unless you're gonna put him on McKinnon's wing, and then yeah, of course he may put up 40 points this season, but he's a he's an asset that is I don't think it's not going to bring the avalanche down, but it's not going to do him any good. So I I don't know if this was a I, this has got to be a straight cap deal for Joe Sack because I'm sure Zadorov would have wanted some term with the with the Colorado Avalanche. But remember, it's only a few years away from that Nathan McKinnon contract coming up, and that's going to be a deal and a half. So I can't wait to see that. So maybe that's why Sackick went with the move. You know, you lose a little bit on the back end. And and Zadorov, let's hope he does well. I mean, like I said, he only probably only signed a one year contract because he's hoping that he can go somewhere else next year. So we'll see how that goes. The big trade for me, obviously, the Matt Murray trade was a pretty big deal, but this one for me was maybe my the biggest contract that literally made me yell around, yell and run around this apartment. Ask Kelly. Max Domi goes to the Columbus Blue Jackets for Josh Anderson. Max Domi also went with a 2023 rounder to Columbus, which ended up being Samuel Canasco. But Max Domi going to Columbus and Josh Anderson, who were both at the time, both free agents, both were signing rights, one for pretty much a one for one. Domi signs with Columbus, two years, $5.3 million. Anderson, seven, seven years for Josh Anderson. AAV five point five million dollars. Yeah, he's good, guys, but is he that good? You know, he put up forty-seven points two years ago. Sure, had an injury-shortened season this year, so he only put up four points. It was kind of, I mean, but this when was he ever been a five point five million dollar player? Mark Bergevin, what are you doing? I mean, I'm not saying keeping Max Domi because obviously Max Domi is going to want a lot of money despite him wanting to play in Montreal and loving the city and playing in Montreal, and he wanted to be there for this team. I, you could see right through that, but I still think you had to, unless the, unless the talks that were in there, because don't forget Darren Ferris is, is, I think, believe that's Max Domi's agent. I know that's Taylor Hall's agent, but I know Max Domi wanted money. He was going to want term. It obviously just wasn't going to work out with the, with the Habs. And I get that. So you want to obviously trade him away and gain an asset, which they do in Josh Anderson, who is a talented hockey player. Seven years though. 
we're going to get to a trend here and during when we talk about free agent signing, there's not a lot of long contracts. This is the longest contract that was signed in this season, or I think either one of or the tied for the longest. I'll have to check that later when we go through our list. But, you know, Columbus is going to want to be competitive. They're going to want to stay competitive. So that's why they get a guy like Max Domi who has that scoring touch and has that tenacious ability, which is what Tortorella's team is going to be about. I think Tortorella's going to set the tone with them early and be like, hey, this is not, you know, play your style. It's not Julian's style. This is my style. You're going to have to play tough, play physical. And we may get a Max Domi that may end up playing more like a Nick Felino which is terrifying because Domi in his genes, like Felino, has the ability to punch someone in the face. And it's going to be interesting to have those two guys going probably back-to-back on their lines together or on the same line. So that'll be a very interesting to see. I'm just That was my shocker of the week because I thought Max Domi was going to be a Canadian for a while, and I didn't think Josh Anderson was worth $5.5 million for seven years. But I've been wrong before, and I'll be wrong again. We're going to take a break here, folks. When we come back, we're going to have that interview with Rachel Anderson, and we'll be talking to her, like we said, about the Red Wings draft picks and who they moved around. So we'll get that all with her. So that'll be all when we come back. And when we come back from that interview, we will be talking about the all the signings from this year's free agency. We'll be back with more of the Kilo Show here on 12-Ounce Sports or on the Kilo Show, whatever you're listening to, wherever you're watching, right after this. And welcome back, everyone, to the Kuehl Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. Tyler Kuehl back here for you. We're going to get into some more draft talk here, and we're going to get a little team-centric. So with that, for the third time here on the Kuehl Show, well, it's her third time. Her sister, hopefully we'll have her later on because of this dynamic duo of Access Hockey MI. She's back again. Ladies and gentlemen, Rachel Anderson. Rachel, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful now that that draft is over (laughs) well it i don't want to say it was the longest draft in the history of hockey because they used to do the way the The rules well the rule the way the rules used to be right i don't know if you ever read up on this they i think it was because con Smythe and one other gm back in the day decided just to waste everyone's time the way they used (laughs) to do it was they would the draft would go as long as people were being picked Oh, so, good lord! So apparently, the the legend has it it went like thirty rounds, and oh my it was gosh, no thanks. It was Con Smythe. I don't know if he was with Buffalo at the time, or if it, and Con Smythe and someone else, which is just it's the most Con Smythe story I think I've ever heard because he seems like the kind of guy that would do that. <laughs> so then they put a limit on it. Now it's down to seven, and even that took forever. It, it took a long time. I was, I was, cause I, I work full time, unfortunately. And during the day I was keeping track of it and it seemed like time stood still. I was leaving work and it was still just barely ending the, I think it was getting started in the fifth round when I was leaving work. So it was, it seemed like it took an eternity, especially considering there was so many trades and free agency stuff going on too. Right. It just, it was like, I, I don't know, the longest draft of my life officially. Well, I'm trying to think of how, cause usually the draft takes place around the 25th or 26th. And so there's about, you know, five, six days between that and free agency. This year, only three days or uh, two days now, because the seventh mm-hmm. was the second day of the draft. 
I it's so weird, but then again, we should have expected all this being in 2020. Right. Yeah. It's definitely par for the course for the year. That's for sure. <laughs> my, but there's my, some good that came out of it. That is true. My biggest thing that I'm just, you know, let's just chalk it up to awful connections, Wi-Fi connections. Cause <laughs> some of these guys were like in, like there were nice offices, but some guys were like in the, in the locker rooms. And I'm like, that's like the worst place to have Wi-Fi connection. Oh, from my, for sure. From my, yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of figured because I know they were given five minutes per pick instead of the usual, I think, what is it, two that they normally do. So I'm sure a lot of it had to do with connection and communicating with the players and, and you know, all that kind of stuff and time zone differences. So I'm sure they were battling a bunch of stuff, but it sure seemed like a lot longer than five minutes every pick. Well, I, yeah, it's it's so funny because, like, don't forget, some of these kids are, and that's the thing, too. Some of these kids are in school. Well, they should yeah. be at least, according to all these videos that we keep seeing. I'm like everyone just <laughs> taking the week off, but right. However, it is. Did you see? Because we'll get to the lumberjacks a little bit later on talking about USHL. Um, oh gosh, who is the kid for the Lincoln Stars? That, oh, that was um. Oh gosh, was it? I think his name was Blakeman. Started with Something. a B. So, yeah, it was a B and ended with an, a man somewhere. Yeah. So. <laughs> Cause it was, they, they were able to, I saw it on Instagram. They tagged his Instagram. And of course, like every other teenager was some weird, you know, nickname thing, right. but they're at practice. The coach blows the whistle and tells tells everyone to look up at the board. And it says that he was drafted yep. and the whole team just dogpiled onto him. Like, you don't, that is probably the one silver lining in this whole weird pandemic is that there's kids practice, you know, USHL is starting to come back here soon. They're all practicing. And mm-hmm. then the team gets to see that one of their guys gets drafted. Right, I think that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some cool stories that came out of it, you know, with, with stuff like that. I saw a couple of videos where, you know, they were with their teams or practicing and they stopped practice. I think it was one kid that got drafted out of Boston. He was in practice too. I can't remember who the kid was, but his coach had him stop and take a victory lap around the rink after getting drafted. So it's, it's fun memories. You know, it's obviously not ideal situation and, and circumstance, but you know, you got to get creative with it. And I think they did a good job with that. And obviously the camaraderie is fun to have around you too. Yeah. And of course everyone, you know, there's a lot of different picks. I still think mm-hmm. I've, I don't care. There's two picks that I love the most. That is Ozzy Weisblatt's pick uh-huh. from the, by San Jose where Doug Wilson Jr. Signed his name. And mm-hmm. how can you not like Tim Stutzel? I mean, seriously <laughs> now, because when you get the vote of approval from Alex Trebek, yeah, right. <laughs> you have become superstar. Like I get it. He plays for Ottawa. And I'm a Leafs fan, but I can cheer for that guy because Trebek likes him. And it's clever marketing right there. I mean, they definitely did a good job and got people talking. That's for sure. No kidding. Jeez. And Alexi Lafreniere was just, Oh, it's a simple draft pick. And Quentin Byfield, simple draft pick. Yep. But, yep. But Stutz, Nope. You get the jeopardy treatment. There you go. <laughs> well, they played it up. Well, they did indeed. So let's get to the Detroit Red Wings, which is why we have you on. Of course, mm-hmm. you and Janae are the, the extraordinaires of Detroit Red Wings <laughs> prospects, the bootleggers of, bootleggers of all European hockey footage. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Most of it, not all. (laughs) Most of it, exactly. Draft Dynasty does the rest of that on YouTube. But the first round, of course, there's only one pick for the Wings, and it was the biggest pick. The Mm -hmm. fourth overall pick, and for all of us with historical significance, say it's got to be a big pick because Stevie Eisman was picked fourth, you know, in 83. And I pounded it into the ground. Steven Ellis, when we had him on the hockey news a few weeks back, he was the same way. We kept saying, 
Cole Perfetti because we just thought uh-huh. the way he plays, the skill level, he'll fit in perfectly. And he's a guy that maybe you don't build a franchise on, but you can build a team around him to really progress. We're like, he's, and maybe we just pounded it in the ground so much that it just went into evaporation, just went away because. <laughs> The Wings went with Lucas Raymond out of Rwanda. Yep. And Rachel, I remember the last time we talked, you said you liked him a little bit. Tell, oh, yeah. us, tell us why Lucas Raymond's a perfect fit for Detroit. So I, I don't want to like toot my own horn, um, but a pro, as as these top you know central scouting release their list and everything, Janae and I kind of took a peek at what was going on. And obviously there's a lot of movement um, when it comes to, you know, you see the list and as draft eight gets, gets closer and closer, you know, those, those people move around just a little bit, especially the later picks and the later rounds, they shift all over the place. Well, the top ones, we were really banking on Stutzla. I mean, obviously it wasn't, it wasn't completely, uh, possible, but it wasn't entirely far-fetched either. Stranger things have happened. Um, so we were kind of banking on Stutzla, but we ended up doing a video about a week later saying, you know, if we can't get Stutzla, cause we ended up at fourth. We want Lucas Raymond. And the big thing with him, um, and you can go back and reference the video too, is the thing that stuck out with us um, is, and it's something that stuck out with Draper and Iserman and the whole staff, is his hockey sense. He has a very well-developed understanding of the game and puck placement and puck possession. Um, And on top of that, he's an incredible shooter and skater. He's extremely quick and he's very creative. So he, he is smaller, but when we were watching this footage and we were taking a look at him and, you know, his stats don't do him justice Um, with Ferlunda. He did not get a ton of ice time, but when he did, he made the most of it um, and he produced. And obviously you can't forget having a hat trick in world junior championships. So that's something that was really impressive, but overall he, just presented himself on the ice as a very intelligent player, not flippant. He's not a dump and chase kind of player. And with the way the team is going right now, um, and this is something we've stressed before too, we need a highly skilled, highly offensive team. And that's what you see, especially with the defensemen we've been drafting over the last few years too, very strong two-way players. With Raymond, he fits right into the mix there. So being that he's a smaller guy, he can kind of squeeze in a little bit more, but he's got room to build. But that hockey sense and that understanding of how to place the puck and where the puck's going to be, you can't necessarily teach that, um, but it's something that can be developed. So if you've got that high level already. It's just an incredible, he's, he's got a leg up on the situation. So when we were taking a look at everything, that's one shortcoming that we saw with Rossi and Perfetti and even some of the other guys that were kind of front runners for Detroit, um, and, and very popular in media. Um, Raymond just kind of had, he, he kind of, he kind of had the cake really on all of it. So that's he, when, when, when he got drafted, we thought Stutzla go and we're like, Oh my gosh, we could get Raymond. We literally squealed um, (laughs) when we got him because it's kind of justification. Like, yeah, we were right. But it also shows, it kind of shows Detroit's hand on what they're trying to do long-term with the development and the rebuild process. Yeah. And he, like you mentioned, he's only five foot 10. And and the one Mm -hmm. thing I always love to say, Rachel, is whenever people look, I'm like, oh my gosh, he only had 10 points in 33 games. And I mean, let's be honest, Raymond's got a good start this year, two goals and assists at the first five games. The -hmm. thing you have to always respect is if there's an 80 point score in European hockey, whether it be KHL, Liga, SHL, even the Swiss League, that means that player is elite. Big oh, numbers yeah. are very difficult to come by, and especially for these 18-year-old kids because these guys typically are going up against you know, veterans of the game, you know, 25 to 30 to 35-year-old guys. So even in sparing numbers, because he did tear it up with 
Verlunda is their their under twenty team. Mm-hmm. He put up forty eight points in eighteen nineteen in the year, and before he got called up fully with Verlunda last season, he was putting up fourteen right. points in nine games. So yeah. He is and a, that's one thing that with, with I mean, even listening to Eiserman and from what we've seen, and we've stressed it a lot in all of our videos that we do, especially about these Euros um, and the ones that have been on the roster for a little while, when they're coming from teams like that, as in, in the SHL, that's the Premier League in Sweden. It's an incredible league to play in, and that's one thing that kind of gives them that cutting edge and that advantage where, like you said, they are playing with grown men. These are guys that they're not messing around. You may be 18, but they're going to blast you into the boards if they have to, and you have to learn to play with that and around that. So just like a lot of the guys that are playing in Europe you know, through this season or however long we need them to, that's something that's just going to completely accelerate their development because they're being forced to be put in situations where they have to think beyond their years and develop an even stronger sense of that hockey maturity. Yeah, and it's it's a different kind of I mean, it seems like over there in Europe everything's kind of go a little bit down towards the NHL side, so the big ice kind of mantra yeah. or that reputation may start to wither away as we see. And you mentioned how big points aren't, you know, the the cats meow. I mean, I looking back at a guy like Austin Matthews who played for ZSC Lions in Swiss, he only had 46 points in 36 games and you think, "Well, if this player is so good, you should tear that league up." I'm like, "It's because right. you're playing against men and he was at the time yep. 17 years old. The next guy we're going to talk about was the Wings' first pick in the second round. Their very first pick, the one that I thought had Askarov made it, that would have been their pick. But <laughs> Nashville's like, we don't need Rene and UC Saros. We're going to get right. this wrong-handed catching goaltender, which I'll get, which I'm <laughs> going to test you later on the show. Oh, he's going to he's going to tear it up anyway. Oh, he's going to be terrifying. But let's talk mm-hmm. about a guy that. When he's up with the big club in Alsvenskan, I, I forget how to say the league every single time. Alsvenskan. Alsvenskan has yep. not scored a goal yet, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> he is a humongous big man defenseman. I'm not going to give him the comparison to Cronwall yet, but he does have the size, the stature, and that's William Valinder. Val, yeah, Holy cow. <laughs> Those Euro names, man, they get you. <laughs> well, because I know it's not, everyone's like, oh, it's William Wallinder. No, it's not no. Wallinder. It's Wallinder. Wallinder. It's Wallinder. Yeah. So, yep. it, but I look at him and, and once again, thank you. Shout out to Draft Dynasty. I probably said it three other times in the show today <laughs> because he, it's great because you see these guys that you don't see often and you get to watch him and you, and he puts out great footage. He's not an offensive guy, but he's right. very quick. And he's got that long reach that mm-hmm. really does a good job of negating clean offense or clean zone entries for the opposition. What makes Valinder a great pickup by Detroit? Um, his skating. Um, that's with with his size, the level of skating that he has, especially on the back end, is um, very well developed already. And we've seen this with like like last year, Eiserman uh, drafted a lot of really big guys. Most of them were over six two. Most of them were European. So this kid coming in, obviously he kind of fits that mold a little bit, but with him, he's got the advantage of having very good acceleration, very good edges and quick feet. Um, and that's really hard to come by with bigger guys. I mean, you see guys like Chara lumbering around the ice, just struggle busing their whole way. And he's an ugly skater, but with Volander, he's, He's very precise in that and with his acceleration, too. That's what makes him such a a, a good pick, too, because he's got already a bit of a two-way style. Um, But with his skating ability, he can easily get developed into joining rushes a little bit more, kind of expanding that offensive edge a little bit more, and then being able to quickly get back into his zone and, and, you know, get on the defense and kind of be a little bit more of a – 
they, they want to make him a little bit more two-way. Um, that's what they want to see him develop as. I mean, they they kind of compared him initially in uh, Steve Eiserman's press conference. They compared him to Cider. Cider is already kind of way ahead of everybody, but they're hoping he kind of develops a similar game where he is aggressive along the boards, but he can get to the puck quickly too. Um, so his obviously his size is a big bonus, but his skating is going to, I think, really propel him um, probably a little bit quicker than most expect. Yeah, he, I just, I watch him because it's so important because you see, and this is why I'm so glad that Steve Eisman didn't pick Jamie Drysdale because mm-hmm. yes, Drysdale, right-handed defenseman. Great. Offensive gifted. Great. Listen, the Leafs have Tyson Berry. Hasn't worked out. Did not work out <laughs> at all. Okay. It worked out in Colorado because the Pacific division and the central division are just kind of funky dory over there with their mm-hmm. defensemen. But I look, it's easier on I say for prospects. If you can find a guy, a defenseman puts up 60, 70 points. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's great. But then you have to worry about developing defense. And especially right. when you get to the NHL, it's important. If you're already a solid defenseman at a fairly high level over there, obviously not the SHL moto because they have the relegation system over there. People forget, but mm-hmm. still, he's still a good quality defenseman and you can develop offensive skills after the fact. Cause Right, and I said Nicholas Cronwall when I when I first mentioned him, but Cronwall was never a talented offensive defenseman. No, he just kind of developed, and he did put up some points. But don't forget, how long did it take Nicholas Lidstrom to score a hat trick in his career? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that too, at the time, like during, I mean, during Cronwall's earlier seasons, especially Nick Lidstrom's earlier seasons, all the way up to his retirement, the game was very different for defensemen then. You know, it wasn't as two way. Um, and that it, it wasn't something that really, you know, if you had a two way defenseman, then it was, you, you had a full house and you were just, you're going to kill everybody, but it wasn't something in an attribute in defenseman that they were actively pursuing. It was like, you're a defenseman, you defend, let the forwards do their jobs. So now the game is kind of morphed into this, you know, this version where the defensemen do have to have a more, a sharpened offensive mind. So comparing Nick Cronwell at the time, I think it would be kind of an apples to apples if it were in the same vein um, and kind of taking it in that perspective where it wasn't expected during his earlier years. But with Volander, he's, he's got the body for it and he is pretty physical too. Not in like a, like I'm a big fan of being physical on the ice, of course, and not being a jerk about it. You know, don't be a Boston. Um, don't be a I, Boston. Yeah, I, I hate Boston and everything about Boston. So I will always, I will always throw them under See, the bus. <laughs> even your clam chowder discussion to Rachel. I'm not the only person. Even Rachel agrees with me. <laughs> I can't stand Boston in these playoffs. These recent playoffs made me hate them even more. But <laughs> with, with that, you know, he, he knows how to possess his area and possess the puck, but also, you know, get on that rush and defensemen developing that type of skill is possible, but it's really hard to do if they are stuck in that one way track of that defense, that defense only kind of mindset. So the fact that he is even, you know, kind of toying with that and open to that and already playing like that, it, it cuts back the development time that the wings need in kind of like the laundry list, so to speak of things that he needs to work on. It dramatically cuts that back for him. So he can in, with just where he's at already, he can already expedite where he's at in development and easily within a couple seasons, you know, maybe three, four seasons, you know, find his way to the NHL. Yeah. And I, you know, really, I mean, 
and you don't want it. You never want to push. I mean, there's not many second rounders that make the jump to the NHL. There are the few, but that's because the team is completely awful. And yes, the Red Wings <laughs> had one of the, yes, the Red Wings had a bad year, but I don't think Iserman's willing to, to jump the, to kind of push oh, the, no. push the process unless he doesn't, unless he absolutely has to, unless right. there's a massive shortage of talent. Right. But, he even said that he even said that Raymond probably won't even see, you know, AHL action until 2022. Because he's committed through the 2021 season over in Sweden anyway, right. so it entirely depends on that. So he's he's not in a hurry to be pulling these kids over or throwing them in the pros, which I think would probably bother a lot of people. Yeah. Because you know, yeah. with especially with first rounders, everyone's thinking they're going right NHL. It doesn't always work like that. And I think Iserman knows he has to be patient with these kids. So it's it's going to be a process. It's going to be a little bit before we see him over here. And I I think for this year in particular, where everything in North America is starting later, I would be okay with like even Tim Stutzel. Like if he Mm -hmm. didn't play in Ottawa or any had any affiliation with the Sens, uh, the American League NHL, I would I'd respect that because why would you do that? Why would you bring him over just to play maybe thirty games? I mean that's right. That's that's yeah. where I see on that. So yeah, it's a disservice to the players if that's the case. They they need all the ice time that they can get at this stage. I think the the veterans in the NHL could probably take the gamble, obviously, but the younger kids they need that momentum. They exactly. they can't go without too long. Exactly, and that's why you're going to see a lot of. That's why there was a talks for a while. There was going to be a few college players that were going to jump back to their junior teams that they had the rights to because junior hockey, at least QMJHL, started up. It's getting started up here soon. Mm-hmm. WHL is kind of on the way, and OHL is a whole. Who even knows? <laughs> I don't know. I mentioned I, it last week about the whole non-checking and uh, yeah. cloud, and I'm just like, I. Oh. It's just going to be bubble hockey, and no one's going to want to watch that. And I mean bubble hockey like Bubble Boy, not like isolated arenas. <laughs> Bubble, uh, nope. bubble, oh, you mean bubble boy hockey? I mean, like, oh my gosh, that'd be cool. The rot hockey. That would be, that would be hilarious to watch, yeah. but it would get old after a while. Here we go. We got a big matchup here representing the Detroit Red Wings. We have <laughs> bubble boy Amer- hockey. Amer- hey, Wayne Gretzky was the commissioner in the old Bud Light Ice commercials. We can make Gretzky the commissioner. <laughs> he can come the- out of retirement. For oh it. man, it'll be awesome. Uh, the next guy they picked in the second round, they had Theodore Niederbach, and this guy <laughs> is kind of in the same actually almost may, maybe playing with Lucas Raymond here in a little bit with Ferlande plays with the U 20 team right now, but the way he's been playing this year, it's seeming like he may get called up with the big club, 49 games in total. The last couple of seasons with the U 20 team, he's put up 63 points so far this season. He's put up three goals, 12 assists for 15 points in nine games. Rachel, what makes Mr. Niederbach a great pick by the wings? <laughs> Well, if the points were impressive, weren't impressive so far, um, obviously he's a production guy. He knows how to score. He knows how to do his job. And he's also on the bigger end of things, um, which is nice because he's filling that center slot and the wings in, you know, obviously this season we're kind of struggling filling a center with someone strong. Um, but we've got quite a few guys coming up through the AHL. So with Niederbach, once he is ready to make that jump to the North American leagues, he will be able to fill a center slot and develop pretty quickly. And the biggest thing with him besides his point production is he is pretty creative too. He's got um, an interesting perspective on how he places plays and how he kind of fills that center slot. And it's a huge responsibility. It's a huge role. You have to be creative. Um, And that's one of the biggest draws with him, but he also has the potential to be not necessarily um, a, a Tomas Holmstrom in front of the net, but he does have a very strong net front presence too, where like, 
right now you can kind of see it with with Michael Rasmussen um, when he was with Grand Rapids this last season. There's no puck that kid could not deflect when he was net front. Um, he fills that center role. He got moved to center just this last season. Um, and that's kind of, I think, what the direction is for for Niederbach that they're going for. Um, obviously, you want them to fill that big center lane and be a versatile player, but the net front presence is so important and to have a body that goes with it, too. Um, he's going to put on some weight, of course, but to have a body that goes with it, too, um, will be a huge selling point for him. And I know there's a lot of there's a lot of speculation around him because, yeah, obviously he's doing pretty well right now, but he was coming back from injury. And so there was a lot of like scratching of the head, like, oh, can you do it? He's already been struggling with injury. He has drive. This kid, you know, injuries happen um, and he's proven he can bounce back from it. And that's really good, too, because the mental toll of an injury is, I think, greater than the physical aspect of it. So to show his mental tenacity along with that creativity, that's going to be that's going to be a big thing for him in the next couple seasons. Um, and I, I want to say Iserman even said by the time, you know, he's looking at 23, 24 years old. So he's got a few seasons to go before Iserman even looks at him again in that way to have him pulled over. Um, but within that amount of time, he could easily beef up and hopefully become even more creative and be that net front presence that they're going to need too. Yeah, there's that's one thing too. That's why I always look at whenever I there's draft picks, I look at height. I don't look at weight. Yeah, because these kids are 18 years old. I was <laughs> they're a, just starting. I was 150 pounds going into college. Let me tell you that. So then again, <laughs> I'm a goaltender. It didn't matter, but. <laughs> but you talk about development. I mean, don't forget, Pav- people forget Pavel Datsuk was drafted in 98. He didn't make mm-hmm. a, he didn't, he was a rookie on that O2 cup winning team. And thanks to our good friends at eliteprospects.com. According to them, all the stats they have total. Now, obviously there can be some, I mean, they have, they have a pretty good team widespread around the globe now, but there could be, this could be t- up to some gray area, but the exception of any of his international play with team Sweden, Mr. Niederbach has never played for a team and averaged less than a point per game, according mm-hmm. to this. So that's pretty good, I would like to think, yeah. for production purposes. So for sure. uh, obviously someone to keep an eye on mm-hmm. coming through the ranks in Detroit. The last pick they had in the second round, just a few picks later, the 55th overall pick, and a guy that I, I mean, once again, I'm more of a Canadian junior guy, and I do apologize <laughs> for our for our European fans out there, but... <laughs> Cross Hannes, I, I from yep. Portland. He, I watch him play. Now listen, and this is the thing too: seventy-one points in one hundred twenty-seven games career with the Winterhawks. Everyone's like, "Oh, he's not a big-time scorer." The the WA the junior ranks are so weird because you'll have a guy like Perfetti who puts up like a hundred. He would have had at least one hundred twenty points last season had the pause not happened, had the season not been right. shut down. Same thing, similar thing with Hannes. He would have put up more numbers. Not saying he would have led the WHL in scoring. I look at him. As a taller Nate Robertson, and for your Leafs fans, you know I'm talking about Nate Robertson, quick hands, creativity, likes to shoot the puck. Hannes is very similar, except the difference is Robertson's about 5'9", 5'10". Hannes is (laughs) 6'1". Hands and height are very important, especially when you play in the WHL, and that's why the Wings picked him up, Rachel. Right, yeah. And when and, And a lot of this... When I see these picks and after listening to, you know, Draper and Iserman and kind of looking at video footage and everything with with Cross, he kind of follows that formula that they've been going for. Obviously big six one. He's going to get bigger and he's going to put on more weight. These kids don't stop growing in height. You know, it's not the final. <laughs> this isn't the final say. They don't just stop after this point. But with that, another thing that they highlighted and stressed. And like, I'm not even kidding. Like they kept talking about how creative he was and being that kind of player, the NHL is changing. And by the time he gets to the point of being, if he does get looked at 
to be in the NHL at any point, he's going to need to have those quick hands, quick decision making and be creative because in the next couple seasons, who knows how, how much faster the game is going to get. And that's one of the things that stood out with him and all because I, I honestly, before the draft, I never actually looked at his footage before. So I'm like, who is this cross kid? Like, not only is it kind of a bizarre name, but. I don't. I didn't think the wings would be looking at this kid anyway. So I'm looking at footage and everything, and he's he's a fast decision maker. Um, and he's not. And I think I mentioned it before that you can't have a flippant decision maker just because you're fast doesn't mean it's a good and accurate decision at the time. He does it with accuracy, and he does it with poise, and he can shoot the puck like nobody's business. So with that, I mean, he's going to be. It's going to be a tight race, especially for anyone. Obviously, after Raymond you know, coming up through the prospect pipeline for Detroit, it's going to be super, super tight and super competitive. And with bringing him on and his abilities and measuring up to the rest of the guys that they selected and the ones from previous years, Iserman's goal was to create internal competition. And I think with Cross, he's got that. You know, you can tell with the way he plays that he's got an internal drive and internal high compete level that's going to, I think, push him ahead of maybe a few others that are already sitting in the pipeline a little bit. And that's what they want to see. You know, they want to see these prospects who have different unique abilities push each other. So where it is a little bit of friendly competition, I think Cross is going to add a lot of that with just his style. And that, and you can tell, especially, I mean, you see guys like there are even guys in their own team that are, you know, putting up more points and that just makes it better. Cause I've been on teams with guys that put up big numbers and it only makes them better because one guy wants to be better than the next and the next. Right. And of yep. course, Hannes, we talk about how skilled he is, how great his hands are. I don't know if you saw this, Rachel, in his highlight reels that I kept seeing. He did the Michigan goal because he's done it <laughs> twice yep. in game action. It's, Look out, Andre. No, it's, it's not the special conference, the Michigan yep. goal. I won't let anyone tell me different. <laughs> he's one of ours now. Yes. Yeah, he's, he's, he's very creative. I'm excited to see what he does because with with all of this competitiveness that they're creating, it's it's the most I've seen in years, just between last year's draft and this year's. Um, it's, it's a lot of guys that are going to be fighting neck and neck for the same spots. And there's going to be a lot of slots opening up in the next year or two. So I'm really interested to see how these kids really push for it. Yeah, we'll get to that just a little bit later on. <laughs> Moving over to the third round, a couple picks mm-hmm. here. You have two defensemen. I don't want to say the defenseman round for the wings, but you get Donovan Sabringo from Kitchener. Who's put mm-hmm. up? Who put up? 50, who's put up fifty six points in one hundred twenty one games at the Rangers? Great shot from the point. Another left handed defenseman, and then mm-hmm. out of Finland, playing for TPS, Emil Vero. I say Vero. I say, uh, Vero. I sorry. <laughs> you rolled your R. It sounded yeah. pr- really yeah. pro. Vero. Uh, another guy that's very comfortable with the puck as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, once again, playing defense in Europe, you just if you put up points, it means you're not playing your position. Um, (laughs) but these two guys, and you know, we kind of talked about it off before we had you on here, Rachel, it kind of started to follow the pattern with what the Mm -hmm. wings wanted to do with this draft. And that led into the later rounds as well. And kind of go into a little bit more of an elaboration with Stevie Eisman and his staff's kind of pattern with this 2020 draft class. The big, the big overall theme, um, for this particular draft draft class is creativity. Um, which we've already seen in all these guys, even the goaltender they drafted, you know, he's a very, very interesting goalie to watch. Um, but with all of these guys they they were shooting for creativity. Um, they're not in a hurry. They don't want to rush these kids. So they're willing to take, and they were willing to pick kids that might need a couple years as opposed to trying, you know, they were picking the best available at the time, but it was with the understanding that we are not rushing this development. Um, so they had that. So creativity, 
patient development is a big one in a strong hockey sense. That is something they kept stressing over and over and over again. Um, and Iserman and Draper, both when Draper is his first year actually directing the, um, the draft for the Red Wings. So it was a huge responsibility for him. But he said that going into this, that's what they were looking for primarily with every single person they drafted. They wanted someone with high hockey, hockey IQ and sense. And what that means is they know what to do when the puck touches their stick. They've got their stick on the ice. They know where to place it, how to place it and how to read a play. Um, and like I said earlier, that's not something that can be taught. And so with these additional picks, um, you know, they ended up getting six forwards, five defensemen and one goalie with every single one of these guys. They all had an elite level of hockey sense. And it's not to say the other kids in the draft at that point didn't, um, but these ones just had a cut above. And it honestly, like from, from the second all the way to the seventh round, even with their final pick, that's what they were looking for. And they followed that trend. And I think you're going to see that repeat next year. And that's exactly what they tried setting up the, in, you know, drafts previous and last years. Um, and that's just to give them time to not only develop the skill that the kids already have mentally and that mental maturity and tenacity, but to let them know that this is a long haul process and they're willing to take the time to develop that and going into a draft, especially one as loaded as this one had been and last year's was incredibly loaded, you know, you can't rush that. And I think going in with that mentality, um, it goes to show the development of the front office as well and just kind of where they're at as a whole as an organization. Yeah, and you got to have like that kind of like that mindset, like, all right, here's what we're looking for. Because if you have 20 different chefs in the room saying, no, we got to make Italian food. No, we got to make French food. Because then it just doesn't, it's, yeah. it's an awful kitchen then. Right. So if you have right. a common goal, that's when you start to pick the right guys. Because mm-hmm. then you have kind of like a universal agreement. Everyone kind of shakes their hand. I'm like, all right, perfect. We got it. We good. The last draft pick we got to talk about, and we'll kind of carry <laughs> into our next part. The probably the biggest draft pick the Wings made this year, all the way in the 187th overall pick in the seventh <laughs> round, Keenan Draper. Oh, yes, little drapes. Who would have <laughs> thought that Chris Draper would have drafted his own kid? Right, and I, I gotta say, you know, I was I was scra- I was scratching my head a little bit on that one because the last time I saw Keenan play, he had a short stint with the Muskegon Lumberjacks, and I remember seeing him, and I'm like, that kid's a run. And it's a Draper, and I have to respect that because I love Chris, and he's a great person, and he's a legend. So I was like, all right, I'll give the kid a chance. He did really well, honestly. Keenan, I want to say, and he only had, I think, like six games with Muskegon, but he had three points, and he had a couple points in those games. So he he did produce, but between then, I think that was, what, two seasons ago, maybe two or three seasons, till now, he's grown to six foot two. The kid lives at the gym and he's a workhorse. So obviously having the last name Draper kind of raised a lot of questions like, oh, is Chris drafting his own son out of sentimentality? But when it all comes down to it, it's his job on the line. And the scouts, he's not even, um, Keenan isn't even in Detroit with Draper. He's over in Chilliwack right now. So With the Chiefs, BCHL. Yep. Yep. And so he, I mean, he got kind of grilled about it in the press conferences and he's like, I had to trust the, the scouts, the scouts brought the reports to the team as they always do. And everyone, you know, they kind of butt heads on it. They had listed out the pros and cons, just like they did with every other prospect. And at the end of the day, he said that he made a decision that he believed was in the best interest of the team's future, not just his personal interest. And obviously he's proud of his son, but that was the same thing Steve said. He was like, it's Draper's job. So if he wants to make this selection, I have to trust in his ability to exercise his duties in the office he holds. And I think he did that. Of course, there's going to be some controversy about it, Um, just like what happened with Brodeur. I believe his kid, when his kid was drafted, there was a lot of talk about that too. But I, 
I do think Keenan, I mean, it'd be several years, but he is a good player. When I did see him, he he had some skill sets there. And obviously he was a, our very, very last pick, but it doesn't mean he's completely like a hopeless case or anything like that. And it's something for Draper to be proud of. Um, but I I will say I don't think it was driven by by a personal agenda, um, which a lot of people are accusing him of. Granted, I love Draper. He's a fantastic man. And so yeah. I would never speak ill of him. But I do think he does hold the organization's future in a lot higher standing than his own his own personal agenda. And and that's it's just you know and I think the story of Patrick Hornquist being the last pick in the draft and being one of the now a star in the league and and of course how the Wings would draft you know the Russians back in the eighties because they right. they everyone drafted them so late because no one picked no one thought they were ever going to come over and play <laughs> yeah, there exactly. is like this you know I don't say this false kind of this false reputation of oh you know, your seventh round pick may be your best player. That's still not, that may not be the case. I mean, right. we, we say these names now, like all these guys we're talking about picking and we may, you know, five years from now and be like, we, we may be scratching our own heads. Like who did right. they pick? And we, even though we dissected them, uh, yep. going, you know, talking about Draper, he is committed to Miami university, the Red Hawks. So obviously he's going to probably go through college there where you, mm-hmm. and, and I, and it's funny because as much as I love junior hockey in Canada, because very skilled, the best junior hockey in you know in the world. I love the way you know some players that come out of college because they are because mm-hmm. the difference between having an 18 year old like Connor McDavid come up or an Austin Matthews come out of junior hockey as an 18 year old. Yes, they're talented. Yes, they're skilled, but they're still kids. These right. guys that come out of four year or even three years of college, i.e., Kale McCarr. They can yep. go right in the NHL because at that point they're 22, 23, 24 years old, men right. and ready to go. So yep. if Draper, if Keenan Draper is able to, you know, make it through, play a good year with Chilliwack and have a good career collegiately with the Miami mm-hmm. Redhawks, by the time he does want to jump to the professional level, whether that be with Detroit or if he signs somewhere else, you never know what happens with signing yep. rights. Adam Fox for one. <laughs> still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And oh yeah, remember Jimmy VC? Yeah, that guy was great, wasn't he? Um but <laughs> But Keenan Draper, I mean, he'll be ready by the time physically. Obviously, you know, from now until then, hindsight's twenty mm-hmm. twenty. We won't know what's going to happen. But right, never count the kid out. And you know, right. if he, I, I just you're harping on a seventh round pick. I mean, is that the worst thing in the world? But, right. Yeah, and I think that's kind of. I, I mean, everything I've seen on social media since then. I mean, I obviously I'm a faithful Detroit fan. Um, I trust the rebuild. I trust the staff and everything. But with that pick, I don't think there was anything. There's there's nothing to be ashamed of for Keenan. You know, and out of just getting selected in the draft, regardless of what round, it's an honor because you were picked out of hundreds. And I mean, if you want to think about it on a global scale thousands of very eligible and very talented players to even to even remotely make the list. So I, I don't want to I don't want to be guilty of undermining the selection. Um, you know, even if it's late seventh round, even if you're the you know, the dead last pick in the draft, you made it. You know, that's one step closer to reaching that goal. So I think that's one thing that kind of drives me a little crazy about you know, these later rounds, some of them I had been seeing on social media where people are just kind of writing these kids off. It's like, well, they, they could surprise you. I've been surprised numerous times by really late picks, just completely blowing my mind, maybe even at the AHL level, um, which there's nothing to say. I have nothing bad to say about that, but still obviously it's not NHL, which is the ultimate goal. But even then I see these guys play, you know, years from now. And I'm like, wait a second, you were a late seventh round pick. Like you're incredible. What have you been doing in the meantime? For many, it could be just motivation. Like, you know what? You picked me last, but I'll tell you, I'll, I'll prove myself. 
And I think for, for Keenan, especially, um, I did talk to him at one point, it was a couple seasons ago when he was with Muskegon for a short time and he's a driven kid. And I, I think with college and once he gets that, you know, he fills out his body a little bit and develops a little bit more, he could be, he could be a surprising one, um, in a couple of years. Yeah. I just, I, I love to think that there are those underdog stories in there. Yep. Don't forget there are a lot a lot of kids out there that end up just not, just end up not getting drafted. And, and I, yep. world hockey, there was one kid, uh, Ruben, Rubikin. Oh gosh. He plays in the WHL. Rubikin Rafkin. I'm going to go. Oh gosh. What was his name? I got to look it up now. <laughs> Give me one second. It's going to kill me because world hockey. Report, check. <laughs> well, because he tweeted out tomorrow is a new day. Ruben. Yep. Yeah, Ruben Rafkin. It plays in the plays for Windsor Spitfires. I was Canadian mm, junior yep. somewhere. I was close. Um, you know, tomorrow is a new day because he didn't get drafted in his draft year. And that stinks because obviously he's got a chance next year. But then World Hockey Report guy, Cody Jansen, we've had him on the show a few times. He tweeted out a list of names of guys that haven't been drafted. You know, guys like Mark Giordano, Sergei Bobrovsky, Tyler Bozak, mm-hmm. Chris yep. Kunitz, Curtis Joseph, one of my favorite goaltenders of all. Oh, yeah. Artemi Panarin. He's only making $10 million. He yeah, didn't right. get drafted. So. Yep. Just because, yeah, go ahead, Rachel. Oh, I was just going to say that there's just, there's, there's always with the underdogs and I don't even really like to call them that, but there's always those Cinderella stories. And just because you're drafted doesn't mean you make it. And just because you're not drafted doesn't mean you're a failure. And I mean, we even have that in Grand Rapids with, with um, Tyler Spezia. He's one of the hardest working, fastest and skilled players I've seen in a long time. Never drafted, dropped out of his junior league, went back, went to college, got kicked off the team because he got cut and ends up he just resigned with the Griffins and is now officially, you know, he's, he's resigned for his second year pro. And there's, I mean, there's stories like that everywhere. So I don't want to count out the kids that didn't get drafted because of course they're eligible for a little while here, as long as they keep working. But if nothing else, it's more motivation for them to work even harder and get even better. And then they could be the Panarins and the Bobrovskis of the world. You know, they, there's always those stories somewhere in there. Making $10 million a year. One is actually <laughs> yeah. good. The other is Sergei Bobrovsky. Uh, I could do, I could do a lot with ten mil a year. That's for sure. <laughs> I could do a lot with ten, th- like oh, hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, ten bucks right now. Ten bucks right now. Ten would be whole nice. dollars. That'll be. That's, that's two hot and ready's right there. That's that is right there. A quarter <laughs> of a tank of gas here in Michigan. <laughs> We're making. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh gosh, but so we'll get to a little bit more Detroit here in just a little bit later on. But let's talk about we talked about Keenan Draper. Only a short time <laughs> with the Lumberjacks, but let's talk about the other Muskegon Lumberjacks. Mm. The apparently the first league that's going to start up here because as far as I know they're going to start next month I think is when they... yes first home game is late November they start on the road this year yes because I talked to Scott Bradford yep. broadcaster play by play broadcaster of shout out to Scotty P Lumberjacks <laughs> not his actual last name and I saw I saw I, he showed me what his last name was I didn't want to try to pronounce it it was it was so confusing <laughs> it's better just to stick with Scotty yeah it's, it's a lot easier Scotty that B. So the highest picked lumberjack this year out of the third round, San Jose Sharks pick the number 76 overall. And I, we've talked about him before, Rachel, and I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to say it wrong. Daniel Gushin. You nailed it. Yeah, yes! that's right. I got it. <laughs> third time's a charm. There it is. Put up 83 points in 93 games of the Jacks. Yeah. He played what? Three seasons with in Muskegon, if I'm not mistaken, yep. or yep. Yep. And yeah, he was three. And he's going to be moving on to the Ontario Hockey League whenever that starts once again. Hey, shoot, mm-hmm. so to say with the Jacks, you'd be playing. Um, but going to the Niagara Ice Dogs of the OHL, yeah, one of the top players to Lumberjacks last season and definitely deserving of being drafted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Goosh, he's he's a funny kid. Um, I've really enjoyed watching him develop because he was, I mean, when I first 
when we first got to Muskegon, he wasn't there yet. Um, he was one of them that they took in one of their international tenders and he can't speak. a He couldn't speak a lick of English at the time. Um, so I, when I asked him for an interview, he just called me, he just said, yes, coach. So I was like, I'm not your coach, but all right, we'll go with that. (laughs) But he, he has worked his way up. And the funny thing with juniors is that, so Igor Afanasyev was kind of like the front runner last year. Obviously he was drafted by the predators. And so he's moved on. Um, I believe he's starting with Milwaukee this coming season actually. But so he kind of took up a lot of the ice time in his absence. That's kind of where Gushin filled in. Um, That's how it works. A lot of players get drafted or go off to college and then the next line. So your second line becomes your first. Gushin is a shooter. He reminds me a lot, um, and this is a really lofty comparison, um, but he reminds me a lot of how Ovechkin plays, where he kind of has that circle as his office. He takes the pass, he gets the goal. And that's kind of his his niche. That's where he resides. <laughs> and hence all the points. And he's an incredible power play kid, too. So every time every time the special teams are out there, he's, he's not much of a penalty killer, but he's a big power play guy. Um, and he can get that shot off really well. And so I was, I was super pumped to see him go. I was super proud. Just like all these kids we've seen get developed, especially anywhere in the USHL or the U.S. development program, you know, seeing where they've come from and how far they've advanced. And in Gushin's case, he was kind of like his second season with Muskegon. He was a bit of a stud, but not nearly playing to the potential he could have because there were other guys that were getting a little bit more ice time than he was. And that's just how it works. So when he got that ice time and got that responsibility, he did a great job of managing it. And I think, you know, if he handles his, his attitude correctly, that's kind of, um, I would, I wouldn't say his Achilles heel, um, but he does tend to get a little chip on his shoulder. It gets him into trouble sometimes. So if he can learn to manage that, <laughs> I mean, he's a kid, so it's kind of expected. Um, but if he can learn to manage that, he's he's going to be an incredible force. And I, I would not be shocked if he did eventually make it onto San Jose's roster long term. That would definitely be something to see. And the other yeah. two picks, fifth round, Artemi Schlein, Schlein or yeah. Schlaney? Schlein. It is Schlein. See, because yep. now Patrick Liney has ruined it for me forever now. Because I look at that, and I see Schlein. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely Schlein. He was drafted by the New Jersey Devils in the fifth round. Yep. Played only six games and is supposedly going to play with UConn. Is committed there mm-hmm. and is listed to go play there. But then again, UConn said they're not going to play any sports at all. And then yeah. NCAA is not going to start till January, even though Harrison won't tell me on the show. <laughs> Pretty much seems like when they're going to start. Right. But, um, do you, I mean, what do you remember a lot about Shlaney? I'm like only a short stint last season, but yep. obviously good enough once again to get drafted. Yeah. Shlaney, he's, he's creative. He's fast and he's a good shooter. Um, so in his six games, he had three points, which obviously we got him. He was a late acquisition for Muskegon. So we did not see a ton of him. Um, but what I did see, I was really impressed by, you know, he, he carries himself well and he handles the puck really well. So when Jersey took him, it sucked that Jersey took him because I was really kind of hoping a team I liked grabbed him. Um, but it's 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 not surprising. Um, he's got a very good, and I mention it all the time, but he does have a very good foundation to build off of. And coming out of juniors, just the way that he conducted himself, and I'm not just talking like personality, I'm talking about how he... He, he set up plays and he knew when he couldn't do something and had to get the help and had to pass it out and things like that. So I think he reads it really well. And I wasn't surprised when he did go. I just wish that we had more time with him in Muskegon. Um, but the stint he had, he, he became a favorite real quick. And those, in those six games, he, he did a lot for the team, I think. Well, that's definitely one thing. And then, of course, the last one is technically a lumberjack. But here's the thing. You always like to talk about the last pick. The last pick in this year's draft, 217th overall, Tampa Bay selected out of Kitchener, Declan McDonald. Seven mm-hmm. picks before that, a gentleman, a gentleman, gentleman by the name of Timothy Spitzeroff. Spitzeroff? Yeah. Spitzeroff. 
<laughs> and out of Culver Academy, Muskegon Lumberjacks yep. commit. You aren't talk. I know, like you said, you don't like to use the word, the word underdog, but a kid yep. that went from eleventh round in the USHL draft yep. to just simply being picked in the NHL draft. And like I said, not all these kids are going to make the NHL. Not all these kids may not even make it to the AHL. We understand that. We've accepted yeah. that. But here's the thing: to go from uh, how many uh, how many rounds are the is the USHL draft? I know it's around. 20? I want to say it, it's really freaking long. That's for sure. I just get emails as it's going. I want to say it is twenty because they have a phase one and a phase two every year. Right. Yeah. And so this combined kid, combined, it's about twenty. So this kid got picked in the second half of the USHL draft and mm-hmm. was able to work his way playing Culver Academy, which is one of the biggest prep uh, prep programs for hockey up there with your Shattucks. And he was able to earn a spot on, mm-hmm. onto an NHL draft board, let alone, I mean, let alone being picked. He was actually someone like, hey, maybe this kid would be something. Right. I mean, I do you, and this is just me myself. Do you know anything about him there, Rachel? Cause I, <laughs> I got nothing on him. Not yet. Not yet. But I have a feeling it's not the last I'm going to hear his name either. But I mean, honestly, if you can work your way up like that, it, it's no wonder he got picked, you know, cause it shows an incredible tenacity and work ethic. So I think his, he's not going to be one that's going to let people sleep on him. That's for sure. No. So I'm, I'm excited. I don't know too much about him or if anything. So I'm really excited to, to get to know him a little bit <laughs> and to really see how this all pans out. If it works out for that kid, if he ever does somehow watch this episode of the Kiel show here on 12 ounce sports, he is in the same, <laughs> the same class as Igor Chinnikov on yeah, guys that we don't <laughs> on guys that we have no idea who they are. Right. Hopefully, we don't know who you are, but he, he, he's going to make sure we know. I'm sure. Exactly. So before we let you go here, Rachel, I was going to try to get this off the top, but we were so right into the draft. I got to <laughs> ask the first question I guess we talked about Muskegon and Detroit, a guy uh-huh. that's from Muskegon, played for Detroit, well, played, duh, emphasis yeah. on <laughs> the past tense. Justin Abdicator uh-huh. is bought out by the Red Wings, and yep. he was it was on the downslide towards his career. What is your take on Abdicator getting bought out? I think it's a long time coming. Um, it, it was a smart move by by Stevie. Um, and I, I want to say, Janae and I actually did a video about this. Oh, gosh. I want to say it was back in, like, June, maybe even earlier than that. Um, Abdicator's contract was a heavy one and obviously he wasn't producing something changed with his game. I don't know what it is. Um, maybe it was just the threat of the younger players coming up. He didn't handle well. And so he ended up kind of pumping the brakes or slamming the brakes really on his production. Um, his head wasn't in it. And so I think finding a way to unload that heavy contract, um, with as little expense to the team as possible and obviously getting bought out, there's still an expense to the team. We still have to pay a portion of it. Um, but it's not nearly as much as what we had to. So I think with that, it was it was a smart move. We freed up some space. Um, we got a little bit of cap space left. And Eiserman's done a great job of getting us cap space. But I think Advocator was one of the last heavy contracts we had from the Kenny Holland days um, outside of the long-term IRs that we're paying out and the Datsuk thing that we had to pay out. So with unloading Advocator, I think it puts us in a better position to get um, you know, I don't want to say cheaper talent, but monetarily, yeah, it frees up a little bit more room so we can get a couple cheaper guys or make room for juniors or not juniors from the AHL to get pulled up and kind of fill that spot, make it something more of a, a coveted spot and make guys work harder for it. So I, I mean, obviously I, I haven't talked to Abby. Obviously I don't know how he feels about it. He probably doesn't feel great, but I think it was a smart move and it was something that I think should have been done even last season. Um, but the fact that we did it now 
and kind of opened up the opportunity for other players and opened up a little bit more money was a really smart play. And it's funny because, of course, Toronto media likes to just take every little story and be like, what does this have to do with the Leafs? And someone said, I'm like, well, here's Adblocator could be something for the Leafs. Mm-hmm. And Twitter just went bonkers. Oh, Listen, because we were able to take Jason Spezza the, uh-huh. at the tail end, it seemed like, of his career and have a decent year at minimum wage. And he was able to get re-signed again. And I was like, and I heard the rumors of Bobby Ryan possibly getting signed. I'm like, okay, I won't be back because he's still got skill. Yeah. I, just an advocator. It just, and it's, it's funny because on that one, huh? Because well, <laughs> the guy, the guy literally put in the comment below his own comment said, "Remember, guys, I said something. I didn't say if it was going to be good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> it just was something. Yeah, with with that, I mean, I, I with with Jimmy Howard stepping back, which thank God he did. Um, I was really hoping he would do that voluntarily, and unloading Abby. It just it's just something I think the team needed to do. We can't have these really long-term heavy contracts. They're expensive. And nine times out of 10 guys who are signed to six to eight years, aren't going to be able to produce at the same level every single season, you know, and especially as you get younger guys moving up, you don't really want to put yourself in a position where you're in a financial and contractual chokehold <laughs> and you can't move guys that need to be moved and are ready to be moved. Iserman even said, you know, he, he fully expects Zadina to get a full-time roster spot this coming season. Um, he was really happy with him. He's probably full-time NHL now officially. So there's one, um, there's a couple others that he had mentioned that he's looking to put up there. And so I think, especially with, with free agency being the monster that it is, um, I think you're going to see a lot more stuff like that and not necessarily buyouts, but a lot of moves and putting guys on waivers that, you know, we, we don't need to hold on to anymore. If they're not producing, let them go. And Iserman's plan from the get go has been short-term contracts, see where they go. If they work, sign them for another year. And you saw that with Dom Turgeon, Turner Elson, um, and several others, they got signed for maybe one or two seasons and that's it. And that's all he wants to commit to until the team is in a position where he can see it working long-term. So kind of unloading this stuff. And Kenny Holland was big into that too. He was really big into the long contracts, secure them as long as possible. And I think though we had a ton of draft picks off of a lot of the moves we did during the, the Holland era, the long contracts kind of screwed us over outside of the draft. And so I think this moves like this will kind of free up a lot of that space. And Eiserman even said, I mean, there's three guys that they're not qualifying. So like Christopher N, he's not qualified. Madison Bowie, uh, I think it was Brendan Perlini. They're not qualifying those guys either. So they're looking to make quite a few moves in hopes, I think, of pulling up at least five guys from Grand Rapids once they're eligible. So that's a good sign for the development and the future of the team. And I think moving guys like Abby, it's just, I don't want to call him a relic, but he is kind of a representation of what our development used to be, not what it's going to be in the future. And I think that's, it's just, it's a harsh way of putting it, but I think that's kind of what Eiserman's going for. Yeah, that it is a bummer. Cause I, it, my, my theme with Justin Ablicator was he was worth over $4 million when he was on the wing of Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg. That was always oh, my, wait. Yep. That, that was that was my thing. And I and I was just like, man, I'm like, as soon as they were done, I'm like, who's he got? I mean, yeah, Larkin's right. there, but he was able to work with guys like Datsuk because Datsuk could just throw the puck into an area and somehow it bounced off Ablocator's <laughs> leg and go in the back of the net. Yep. Exactly. And Abby too, at the time, he had a little bit more tenacity. You know, he was, he was the fighter. He was the guy hammer punching somebody in front of the net. And he was the gritty kind of um representative of, of the grind line days too. But over the seasons that just seems to kind of have faded and it's nothing against him. Honestly, as a person, as a player, I think he still has a bit of potential, just not where the team is going. Yeah, I wonder where, 
where he's going to go. There's still a lot of old guys out there that'll be looking <laughs> for contracts. Oh yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting yep. how free agency all pans out. But mm-hmm. I want to thank you, Rachel, once again for coming on for the third time. Be sure to follow Rachel and Access Hockey at Access Hockey MI on the tweeters. You can follow Rachel on the Instagram, Rachel Elaine Anderson. Catch Access Hockey every week when they post their awesome prospect videos on YouTube and maybe a podcast. Who knows? There's so, <laughs> there's so much content to talk about. Maybe. I know. I'll, I'll just throw the big fat maybe in there. That's a, it's a, <laughs> it is a big fat maybe, but hey, if the fans want it, we'll we'll see what we can do. <laughs> give the people what they want. <laughs> we'll, give, we'll give the people what they want. <laughs> All right, Rachel. Thanks again. We're definitely going to talk, obviously, with the USHL starting first. We may be talking about that because that's maybe for all sure. we're going to have to talk about for a month <laughs> yeah. or so. Hey, I'm not complaining. <laughs> but we will definitely talk with you soon. Hopefully next time we can get Janae on. She was a blast the first time we had her on. We're going to take sure. we're going to step aside folks. When we come back, we'll have more of the Cuel show here on 12 Ounce Sports. We'll be back right after this. And welcome back everyone to the Cuel show here on 12 Ounce Sports or wherever you're watching us here. If you're watching obviously the replay because this one is not live this week. If you're just tuning in, thank you very much obviously if you are tuning in. Only an hour left here on this show here today. I'm looking at my recording clock here to make sure I don't go over because obviously we still have the only two and a half hour block. If you're watching us on 12 Ounce Sports on Monday night, perfect. Be sure to stay tuned for Talking Myers with the Rando. I'm sure he'll have all good stuff to the recap of the week of the NFL and all the other stuff because I don't know what he's going to talk about yet because he uh, hasn't probably determined what he's going to talk about yet because he usually tells me on Monday. So, oh boy, oh boy. I'm looking at Twitter right now, and, uh, well, it uh, makes it a little interesting because possibly, and, of course, once again, if you're watching this on Monday, you're totally can probably like, of course we know this, Tyler. There's possible confirmation of, well, there's no confirmation yet, but rumblings of Taylor Hall going to the Buffalo Sabres. Hmm. Interesting. Because I, I, I didn't think, Buffalo was going to do anything this year. I mean, they made a couple of signings, which we'll get to here in a moment, but Darren Dreger confirms it. Pierre Lebrun, who also says he would never have guessed the Sabres, Elliot Friedman, Chris Johnson, all of my guys. Fried just didn't text me. Fried has been a little busy this week, okay? I haven't expected any texts or phone calls from him. He's, his phones are getting blown up as enough as it is. He doesn't need me annoying him with my calls. But let's get to... The, the re-signings first. Let's get to the con- all these guys that are going to stay with their teams because obviously there, there was some, obviously there was some, wow, I'm surprised he stayed with the team or I'm surprised they kept this guy, which there's a couple, especially with Edmonton. But let's get to these guys here. We got first, we'll, we'll, and with both the re-signings and the free agent signings like we usually do here on the Kula Show around this time, we're going to go in, chrono- in alphabetical order of the team names. So the first one, and these are only note. There's obviously more signings, a lot of minor league signings, but these are the notable ones. The first one, we're off with, shockingly enough, the Buffalo Sabers. They re-signed Brandon Montour to a one-year deal, three point eight five million dollars. You know, not a bad contract. I mean, and not a not a bad player either. Montour, who you know, on, on the back end, it's only a one-year deal. He's a UFA after this year. He puts up. He put up 18 points last season. Put up 25 the year before that with Anaheim. Or actually, put up 35 last season in the 18-19 season. Excuse me, with both Anaheim before being traded to Buffalo. Put up 
32 points in 17-18 season in his first full season in the NHL. Ended up playing four games with the Ducks in their one series that year in the postseason. And, you know, he's he's an interesting player. He's, you know, he's not the biggest guy, but he's effective. He shoots right, which everyone just seems to love with defensemen. So good little keep there by the Buffalo Sabres. Chicago. They obviously re-signed Malcolm Subban two years of what we talked about before the break when we were mentioning the lack of signing Corey Crawford and the move to get Nikita Zadorov. Two years, $850,000 for Subban, the middle of the three Subban brothers. And Dominic Kubelik signed him for two years at $3.7 million. That's and then That should not be a shocker to anybody, okay? Because, first of all, 30 goals last season led all rookies. was a big part of of that playoff run for the Hawks to get him into the first round. He played really well in that series against the Edmonton Oilers in the play-in round. You know, a guy that's, and I'm not saying this is a a contract that he's all, oh, you know, make, you know, just kind of betting on himself, but, you know, two years. And like I said, there's only a few guys that signed over four years in these, in all these contracts that have happened this year. There's been a lot of two year, three years, because obviously these players want to say, Hey, if the money go, goes up in the next couple of years, I want to make sure I can get paid then because they signed for seven years now at a low number. Boy, when the money does go up and the cap does go back up, Nathan McKinnon, listen, guys, I'm just saying that's not the quite comparable to the player, but in a type of contract, he signed a long-term deal to say, hey, let's just get signed long-term. I'm a good player, $6.5 million. Now he's a superstar who is probably worth $11 million. So that's why you see a lot of short-term contracts, especially the guy with Kubalik because He's going to continue to ramp up the playing time. I'm sure I don't see why he wouldn't because after such a great first year, let's see how years two and three go. Sophomore slump obviously could be there, but let's see how he does with the Hawks next season. Colorado, a couple of, I don't know, there's one, I don't want to say a couple of small signs. Valerie Chushkin, two years at $2.5 million. Good depth piece that the Avalanche will definitely need if they want to continue to be tough in the playoffs, tough to play against. And Andre Burakovsky. Short-term contract, once again, two years, $4.9 million AAV. Like that contract a lot if you are the Avalanche, since we're talking about so much about the contracts with Colorado, because we didn't get to them before with Brandon Sod. By the way, Brandon Sod, I don't think I mentioned it in the first segment, $1 million retained by the Hawks. So a little bit more cap-friendly, no pun intended, for the, uh, for, the Av- or for the Avalanche. And they have, yep, Burkowski for two years at four point nine. They have Landeskog to sign after this coming season. Brandon said it's only one more year, but he'll probably be gone. They only have left to sign is Tyson Jost and Vladislav Kemenev, who's got arbitration rights. Three more years on McKinnon at 6.3. Jonas Don scores 3.9 for three more years. JT Comfort at three and a half, three more years. The only guy they have to sign on the back end is Ryan Graves. And I'm no, I didn't look it up if I, if he did or not. I believe he's one of the guys that, so, uh, file for arbitration. I'm not sure. I'm not 100% on that, so don't quote me on that, folks. I'll probably find out when I'm done recording this, or I'll find out tomorrow, and I'm like, oh, he did sign up for arbitration rights, but Ryan Graves, obviously a very talented young defenseman, would like to see him stay with the Colorado Avalanche, and you know, pretty good fair contract for the goaltenders right now. Philip Grubauer at 3.333333 for one more season. Two years of $2 million with Pavel Francouz. So Colorado's in an interesting spot. They currently have almost about almost $10 million in cap space right now. I don't think a guy like Tyson Joseph is going to fill a lot of that, but you're going to want to hold on to that just for you don't want to make any big signings that you're going to have to pay for later because, like I said, next year you have four 
forwards are going to be UFAs, Ian Cole on defense, and then you're going to have the Kale McCarr contract. And if he continues to do well, guys, if he continues to play at not just the Calder Trophy rate, but possibly a Norris candidate here soon, guys, that contract's going to be big. Maybe not Eric Carlson big, but then again, I don't think Joe Sackick's that stupid to sign a guy with one foot. Anyway, sorry. Little, still a little confused on that whole deal. So Colorado's done a good job of locking up their big-name talent, and obviously they want to move on from Zadora because they see bigger and brighter things with the current defense that they have. Dallas Stars, one of the longer contracts. Radic Faxa re-signed with the team. Five years, $3.25 million. And, you know, not, once again, not a bad contract for Dallas. It's, in, you know, yes, there is term there, but it's not a big money grab. We always continue to think, oh, my gosh, when are the fourth liners going to be $5 million players? And by that, I mean, like, guys that are playing on the fourth line, not guys that end up being on the fourth line because their play just continues to deteriorate. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying a guy like Ilya Kovalchuk with Los Angeles where he was making $7 million playing, not even playing. I'm saying guys like Radic Foxa who signed for these long-term contracts because, yes, they're good players, but they're not the big, they're not the big point getters. Obviously, he's an effective player with the Dallas Stars. But you're signing him at a fair and affordable contract for long term. Because, hey, maybe in two years, Radic Fox is putting up 60 points in a season. All of a sudden, a 3.25 is looking pretty eco-friendly, if you know what I mean. So you're going to like him. Another year of Andrew Cogliano at 3.25. And, of course, you have the big names still are signed for a long time. Jamie Van and Tyler Sagan signed forever. Two more years of Alex Radulov. Two more years of Joe Pavelski. This fair contract that gives you still room for Rupe Hintz and Denis Gurionov. You still have, I believe, they have to sign. I don't think they have to sign. Uh, they have to sign. Uh, where is he? Yoel Kiviranta. Nope, they got one more year of Kiviranta. And your defense is all locked up for next season, so you're all good. And the goaltending situation is locked up for three more years because the Stars re-signed Anton Hudobin. $3.333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333
they people knew how to beat the Blues. By that, I mean Vancouver knew how to beat the Blues. And, you know, I wonder if Dallas is going to have that same problem. Yes, Dallas, they kind of snuck up on everybody. Antonio Dobin rode this team all the way to two wins away from the Cup Final. And this was without production from Tyler Sagan for most of the playoffs. Alex Radulov was pretty quiet. Jamie Benn came on late, but he was pretty quiet through the first couple rounds. He had to rely on a lot of young guys, Denis Gurionov. I mean, like I said, Kiviranta, Faxa didn't play the biggest role, but you did find Joe Pavelski's Fountain of Youth. Obviously, Miral Haskin was great in the first couple rounds. Alexiak, Klingberg, all those guys really stepped up for the Dallas Stars. And I just, you wonder if people are going to be surprised. Like, people will take them a lot more seriously next year. I'm not saying they weren't taking them seriously this year, but I just, I don't think anyone really thought Dallas had a shot to go far in the playoffs. So that's why I don't know if Dallas will be as good. Edmonton, they signed Tyler Ennis for one year, $1 million. Good, hardworking player. I like him. I wish he... I wish the Leafs had him back on their team because he's the kind of guy that I you know you like in your lineup. He's tough, he's quick, he can play, he's got skills, but he's willing to get in the corners and play tough hockey. Here's the one that got everyone all all out of sorts there in Edmonton because Edmonton just loves tearing on their own team, just like Leafs fans do. Who would have thought? Mike Smith, one year, two million dollars. Okay. Well, so I, I want to, I'm trying to figure out where the problem is here, guys. I, I'm trying to figure this out myself because I, it's not the worst contract. It's a, first of all, it's a year, a year, which is not even going to be a full season, guys, okay? Not even going to be a full season. Let's just take a quick look at, I mean, you have Miro Heiskinen, Miro Heiskinen, Miko Koskinen, good Lord, Tyler, four and a half million dollars for two more seasons. Their goaltending prospects include they, who they signed Anton Forsberg, Stuart Skinner, Dylan Wells, and Olivier Rodrigue, who played played in the came out of the QMJHL. I what what's what is the problem here? Did with their seven hundred and thirty grand? Pardon me. They would have had two point seven three two left in cap space had they not signed Mike Smith. What goaltender were you going to get at that number? Were you going to get Corey Schneider? Were you going to get Jimmy Howard? Mike Smith is probably your best bet, guys. After all the big-name guys got taken, you the there was no room for this team to pick up a goaltender for the amount of players they have signed right now. You have a guy like, I mean, you saw the McDavid contracts. You have Nuge for one more year at $6 million. James Neal who a lot of people thought they were going to get rid of earlier, 5.75. Zach Cassian, he'll be signed for three more, four more seasons at 3.2. I, I don't see what the problem, what everyone's got an issue with. He's a good goaltender. All right. I'm not saying Koskinen is worse than Mike Smith, but if you're going to platoon him like he did last year, have a 1A, 1B, which it worked. They Yeah, they, what, they came one point away from going into the play-in round and not having to face Chicago, and it would have been Dallas taking on Chicago, which I think would have been a very interesting series, to say the least. But why are Edmonton fans so out of sorts about this? What is wrong with signing a veteran goaltender? for It's not a five-year contract at $2 million. That's different. This is for one year just to see, hey, maybe one of our goaltenders will start to develop down in Bakersfield, and maybe we could bring him up after. Because right now, they have there's no sign of Bakersfield, any of the goaltenders down there in the AHL, proving that they can be in the NHL. 
Anton Forsberg was signed in there, like just in case one guy gets hurt and they could bring him up in the lineup and say, Hey, you played in the NHL before you can, you'll suffice for now. That's why they keep around Mike Smith. His numbers weren't great last year. Okay. They weren't great. They like, they, they were not as good as they were the year before he was in Calgary. I get that. I have, I understand the numbers weren't great, but who is going to be your backup? That, that is where you have to understand what Kenny Holland's looking at here, guys. It's not like he signed him for $6 million or a long-term deal. He signed him for one year to give him a, give you guys a backup. I don't see a problem with that. And again, that's just me. Could be wrong. Montreal, a couple small notable re-signs from them. Victor Mete, a back end, two, two defensemen, actually. Victor Mete, uh, no, Victor Mete is center. Sorry, one in, up front, one in the back. Victor Mete, one year, $735,000. Xavier Ouellette signing for two years, AAV of $737,500. Montreal just kind of keeping those guys around because, well, they had to, now they had to sign Josh Anderson for a long time, so they're going to have to be frugal, to say the least. San Jose, a big contract here that they were able to make. Kevin LeBanc signing four years, $4.725 million. Let me tell you this here, guys. I am... Not shocked, by the way, because the, this guy should have been making this money last year. He signed a $1 million contract because Doug Wilson's like, hey, we don't have anything right now. Could you just for one year sign for a mill? And he did. He was willing to take it. The team sucked. And now he's like, all right, I, I you owe me one now here, Doug. Let's make, let's make this happen. 4.725. That's not bad. That's more fair what Kevin LeBanc has earned. The Sharks are a team that I just don't, I don't know. I don't know. They get Devin Dubnik in the trade with Minnesota. You still have Martin Jones there for a lot of money. And unless Martin Jones picks it up this year, guys, this is going to be another rough year for San Jose. Obviously, it sounds like Joe Thornton's on the out. Same thing with Patrick Marlowe because they're still on the block. They may sign in a month or two, but... It won't be for anything. I don't think if it's anything over a million dollars, I'll be I'll be really surprised. But San Jose is gonna be a very tough team. Tampa right now, obviously, there's a couple other signs. They want to talk about Sergeyev and Sorelli, but they do sign Luke Shen and Patrick Maroon back. Shen at one year, eight hundred grand. Maroon two years at one point eight nine hundred grand AAV. Hey, those guys ended up being big, big breadwinners for your team. In the playoffs, Luke Shen played a very tough role in the back end. Who would have thought that he would have been an actual vital asset in a playoff for any team of any kind? He was able to do that in sparing minutes with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And Patrick Maroon, we saw how, you know, obviously the leadership was there and the toughness with that, with him, Blake Coleman, Yanni Gord playing tough, uh, Barclay Goudreau, those guys all putting together a very tough back end for, or back bottom six for the Lightning, which made them. I think a better contender. We talked about that with Harrison Watt after the Bolts won the cup. It was that type of change in the lineup and that type of mindset altering that made Tampa a more formidable team. They were not going to get pushed around because they had those guys back there that could play tough minutes, can play some tough hockey, ended up playing big boy hockey, you know, playing those kind of minutes. And that's what Tampa, that's why Tampa rewards them with extensions. Tyler Mott re-signs with the Vancouver Canucks. He signs for, I didn't get the, there wasn't the dollar amount last time I checked, $1.225 million for the next two seasons. 
I like Tyler Mott. It's not just because he played at Michigan. I just like Tyler Mott. He's a very feisty player. He's got some skill, but he's shown that he's better in a depth role. Vancouver really liked him, and he did play. He wasn't obviously effective throughout the entire playoff run for the Canucks, but he had his moments, and I definitely believe he'll continue to be a very popular asset with Vancouver. Vegas makes an interesting re-signing here. Obviously, after the Robin Leonard deal, obviously money was going to be tight, and technically it still is. Thomas Noshik, a guy that I was certain that they were going to let go simply because of the fact they didn't think they were going to have any room for him, but he signs for one more year with the Knights, $1.25 million, a whole two hundred fifty grand more than he made last season. Not a guy that's put up a whole lot of numbers, hasn't really also given a big, has not been given a great opportunity since being picked up by Vegas in the expansion draft. I pegged him as a guy that Minnesota could look at signing here in the offseason to add some more depth for them and their scoring and their upfront. But Vegas is going to keep him around for another year. I think they're just more or less maybe just trying to fill roster spots and maybe just say, hey, one more chance or else we're going to have to let you go. And I think that's what the ideal or the, the, Thought here is with Thomas Noshik sign him for one more season. Washington keeping up on the back end, making them a little bit tougher. $3.9 million for four seasons. Brendan Dillon. Big boy Brendan Dillon. And Washington, because there's a couple signs we'll get to a little bit later on with them. Interesting to see them go keep Dillon around because this is a team that's they want the veteran defense, but that right now they're in an interesting area because you don't know if they're going to be good again next year. Yes, they won the division the last two seasons. And, I mean, Washington lost in the first round this past year to a very talent, very tough New York Islanders team. The year before that, the Carolina Hurricanes. But they're just going to probably just, hey, let's, let's just kind of play around a little bit, see how this goes. I mean, let's see what Peter Laviolette does, if he's going to actually try to revamp this team and make them a team that's going to be a contender again. Because as we saw and as we heard, this team did not want to be there. They didn't care. So are they going to start caring again? I mean, yeah, they won their cup, but now it's been two seasons. Do you think that's obvious? maybe getting to the boys a little bit and be like, hey, we were good. Let's let's turn this around. Let's start playing better again. And Maybe a guy like Brendan Dillon can keep that spark with the Capitals and his big physical presence. Nathan Bullio is the only real key re-signing for the Winnipeg Jets signs for two years at $1.25 million keeping up with the back end of a relatively depleted blue line for the Winnipeg Jets now to our main event of the evening the how much time do I got here a little over half hour okay I we're, we're probably going to go short on the two and a half hour time span I'm just making sure because let's just put it this way I'm I'm this is being streamed while I am working so I have to make sure and I can't be at the top of the hour at the bottom of the hour on here to make sure it starts. So this, this did start a minute or two early and it's going to end a minute or two early. So I don't want anyone panicking, but I should have make sure I was right on time here. Let's go to the signings of free agency. Once again, we're going to go alphabetically from, we're start with the Anaheim ducks. And this was a man, a, an interesting signing given where the ducks are at right now. Yes, they have Cam Fowler locked up forever, and they still have some talent up front, and Raquel, and yeah, Getzlaff's getting older, but they lost Corey Perry, and John Gibson's still there in goal. So you didn't think they were going to go really buy anybody. But then they go and get Kevin Shattenkirk. Three years, $3.9 million. 
And first of all, congratulations to Shattenkirk, a guy that was, who's, by the way, is still getting paid for his buyout or still costing New York Rangers money for his buyout. A guy that went from 1.5 after a, you know, a pretty dismal run in Manhattan was able to play, have a pretty good year. Once again, was not the top guy. I have to, I can't just say that enough. Was not the top guy in Tampa was not treated as the top guy, but that kind of helped him kind of re you know, gain his confidence back. I'm like, all right, you know, there's no pressure on, let's just go out there and play. And he put up good numbers, was a big part. One of their better defensive scorers in the playoffs played well in his own end and showed why he was the highly touted defenseman coming out of the St. Louis when he was traded to Washington and ended up signing that big contract with the Rangers. Now he goes to Anaheim, $3.9 million. It's not a big one. I think I said that too. He was not going to sign a huge number contract, but he was certainly going to get a raise for his play with the Tampa Bay Lightning last season. And it's a little bit, a little bit of term, only three years though. And you know, the ducks maybe just want that kind of guy around their team right now that says, Hey, he's a winner. He's experienced. And you still have, I mean, a pretty, I don't want to say a pretty old defense core. I'm looking at it right now on catfriendly.com for the ducks. You have Cam Fowler, Hampus Lindholm, Josh Manson, and Kevin Shattenkirk. Kristen Juice is a 1 million for one more year, 1 million with Cody Curran for two years, and 1.2 for two years with Jacob Larson. So you have a mixture of experienced defensemen, but adding Kevin Shattenkirk at least gives them a solid top four, which for Anaheim they have not had in some time. Yeah, you have Adam Henrique, who is a little bit older. Jakob Silverberg is almost turning 30. David Backus is still a thing, just letting you guys know. But, I mean, I don't know what the Ducks... I mean, I thought the Ducks were going to be better last season, but I'm not sure. As of right now, by the way, the Ducks only have one signed goaltender. That is John Gibson, who is signed through... Is it 2027 he signed through? He is signed through 2027. Okay. Because I have to remember now, because they added the year 2027, I have to see how long he's going to be on there. So I wonder what the Ducks are going to do. They're obviously going to need a goaltender, and there's a lot of cheap options out there now with a couple of guys getting signed, so I wonder how that's going to go for the Anaheim Ducks. I want them to be better. You know, I much as I don't like the California teams, I just want them to be better. You know, with, with John Gibson, because he's going to be... hes re, I, I don't want to say he's already reached his peak, but you have him for so long. Give the guy a team to play in front of, and maybe you may be able to make some success come the postseason. Boston, re, Boston signs Craig Smith from the Nashville Predators, three years, $3.1 million. A very fair deal. A very fair contract for a guy that has always has slowly gone down the depth chart in Nashville with guys like Philip Forsberg coming on, Victor Arvidsson, the signs of Matt Duchesne, Kyle Turvis, Kyle Turvis, Kyle Turris being bought out makes things a little interesting, but we'll get to his name here in just a minute. But you know, he he's his value with the team went down a little bit, so that's why they were not poised on re-signing him, and that's where Boss said, "Hey, we could use just a little bit more." I mean, they don't, I still say that Boston team didn't need any more. It just looked like they were just so defeated going into that playoff. And against Tampa specifically, it just looked like there was not, there was nothing in the tank against the lightning. So maybe adding a little bit more with Craig Smith, that may help Boston next season. The president's trophy winning Boston Bruins, by the way, the Buffalo Sabres, obviously with possibly Taylor Hall. Is that official yet? Can I say that yet? I'm just checking here. Let's see. Oh, yes, it's official. It is official. Yes, it has been made official. It's unfortunately not live for you folks here, but here it is. Taylor Hall, one year, $8 million. So that's who we're going to start off here with the with the Buffalo Sabres, Taylor Hall. And 
Well, after the air, we reported on it last Monday, Arizona was looking to shop Taylor Hall's signing rights. That obviously didn't work out. Bill Armstrong had to come out and say, hey, he's going to be available, guys. So he signs one year for $8 million. Okay. All right. Let's uh, Buffalo. <laughs> Let I, And I don't know if this for Taylor Hall is a money thing. Obviously, $8 million is a great contract. It's a pretty high value. But is this Buffalo making a push? Kevin Adams right now making deals here. He gets Cody Eakin, who didn't obviously have a big point production year last year, but proved to be effective in the past with Vegas. Didn't get a great chance of Winnipeg in my eyes. They signed Toby Reeder from the Calgary Flames. He's a guy that can play depth score play in a depth role for you. Yeah, you still have to re-sign Sammy Reinhardt and Victor Olofsson. Obviously, Olofsson, that's going to be a big contract that they're going to sign. But Eichel, Skinner, Hall, Akpozo. Yes, no, Akpozo. I'm thinking of Franz Nielsen got bought out by Detroit. Akpozo, Eric Stahl. You get Eakin. You have Tage Thompson, who can be, obviously, some depth guy for you. Segments Gergensons. They obviously lose Evan Rodriguez last year to Pittsburgh. But that's your forward group there. I'm not saying that's going to be, like, the best top six, maybe top, you know, three lines for you. But... This there should be some. This could. I'm not saying this is the year Buffalo goes to the playoffs, but this should be the sign that Buffalo should, and I mean should, make the playoffs. They have the talent. They have both veteran talent. Eric Stahl still one of the big point producers last year for Minnesota. You have the young talent, Jack Eichel, Victor Olafson. You have decent defense for the most part. You have Colin Miller for two years. You kept Brandon Montour, Jake McCabe. You have Rasmus Dahlin one more year before his RFA contract. Brandon Davidson gets re-signed for one more year. Rasmus Ristolainen's been on the trade block for a while, but hey, they're going to keep him because he's right-handed and he's a pretty solid defenseman for the most part. If Carter Hutton can have a turnaround season, guys, Buffalo, this Atlantic division's getting a little tight here. You know, I mean, if Carey Price can play well in Montreal, and if Ottawa, these prospects, just start to get a little bit closer, and Detroit haven't gotten to them yet, they're starting to turn things around. And if Florida, I, I don't, I, Florida, what are you doing? Billy Zito's doing something down there, like I so said, we'll get to them in a minute. Tampa's still going to be good. Boston, Toronto, they'll, well, Toronto, I think they'll still be good. Mont, Boston will still be good. This Atlanta division just getting a little bit tighter. We haven't even gotten to the other teams yet, too. We'll get to them later on. I should have gone by divisions, what I should have done here. Actually, no. Yes, we're going to call an audible right now. Anaheim, they're in Pacific, but they suck. We're going to jump. We're going to do the. We're going to do the Atlantic Division. Detroit. Detroit had, and I, you know, I didn't think anything was going to happen with Detroit this year, just because hey, they're going to stink. They're going to try to develop through the draft, maybe just trade for draft picks if anything. But then they have this this interesting little this little weekend of them. Steve Eisman's like, we have some money to spend. Let's spend it. First, oh, it wasn't the first deal, but they get Troy Stetcher, two years at $1.7 million. Okay, interesting. Interesting indeed. You know, a little bit of your depth piece there. They pick up Bobby Ryan, who was bought out by the Senators, one year at 1.5, kind of show, hey, Bobby, prove to us that you can play in the NHL and get a bigger number next year. Kevin Shattenkirk, you saw what happened there? All right, do it here with Detroit. He's going to get time, guys. He's going to get time, that's for sure. All right, okay. They signed John Merrill from the Knights. Okay, that puts a little more on your defense. One year at nine hundred twenty-five grand, And then you get, all right, earlier today, they get Vladislav Nemestikov. That's two years at $2 million. Okay, he played some big minutes with Colorado Avalanche. Okay, all right. 
You added some scoring, and you get Thomas Grice as your goaltender. Two years, $3.6 million. Okay. Trite. This, this may be a thing. Hey, guys, you always talk about, you know, the Iser plan. The Iser plan. Like, oh, my gosh, why would you ever draft this guy, Stevie? Lucas Raymond, come on. Moe Snyder, come on. I Listen, once again, same thing with Ottawa, same thing with Buffalo. I don't know if they're going to be a playoff team, but they're going to be competitive. Detroit's not going to just be a pushover this year. And I'm not saying these, I'm not saying Bobby Ryan's going to put up 80 points. I'm not saying John Merrill is going to be a Norris candidate. I'm not saying Nemestikov is going to play 25 minutes a night. I'm not going to say Thomas Grice is going to win 20 games for you. But this may be, because you have Grice now and Bernier, two veteran goaltenders. They're going to be a tougher team to play against. And I like the I like what Eiserman does here. These are not big contracts. The biggest contract you have is your goaltender and Grice, which the way their goaltending's been, I'm pretty sure that's an okay move to make. You're not signing it for six years like you did Jimmy Howard. It's two years to at least give you enough time to find a goaltender and develop him. Or if anything, give yourself enough time to save enough money or maybe make this team a little bit better that you can buy a goaltender. People are all out of sorts they didn't get Jacob Markstrom. Listen, getting Jacob Markstrom was not going to solve this team's problem. It was not going to make this team better. The only thing that was going to make this team better is to continue to develop your forwards and your defense. Everything up front. You can buy a goaltender later. You can maybe wait to develop a goaltender because this team's not supposed to be good for a while. That's why these contracts, listen, Troy Stetcher is not going to be a game changer. John Merrill is not going to turn around the franchise. Bobby Ryan is not going to return to the same form that he was back with the Ducks. But it'll make them better. You're going to have veteran experience. Help these young kids along that are coming up from Grand Rapids. Obviously, you're not going to have Franz Nielsen. I get that. You bought him out. But, guys, Detroit's a little bit better. Whether or not they finish in the bottom, I don't know. I don't know who's going to be in the last. I think L.A. I'm pretty sure L.A. will still finish last. Um, L.A. is my early pick to finish last next season. That's my pick. Detroit, though, I'm I'm going to be ner- Listen, if you're playing against them, I'm not going to be like, this will be easy two points. Like, that was last season. I was nervous that they were going to lose to Detroit. Now I'm nervous that Detroit may play it. Like, it's different when you go up against a team and they lose to a team that they should win. Like, oh my gosh, you lose to a team that you should have beat. But now it's like, I'm a little more nervous because now Detroit's, looking like they're trying to do something now. They're not going fast track to going all of a sudden, all right, we're buying in right now. This is the window. No, they're not there yet. But they're tougher. They're going to be pesky. And they're going to beat some teams that people think, oh, you should have beaten the Wings. Well, Detroit's a little bit tougher this year, guys. You can definitely quote me on that. Going to now the Florida Panthers, a couple of interesting moves. They get Radko Gudis, who a lot of people thought was going to go to Toronto, Simply because of the fact that big right-handed defenseman, you need to add toughness. So, yeah, you think that's the guy. Well, he goes down to the Sunshine State. Three years, $2.5 million. Not a whole lot against the cap for them. Carter Verhage for one year, $1 million. A little depth piece out there for you. And Alex Wenberg. Not a bad contract at all here for him. Two years at $2 million. Panthers getting a little bit tougher themselves. And I think I just think last year it was a mixture of bad goaltending, Mixed with kind of inexperience. What time am I at here? Okay. Oh, I got 20 minutes. Okay. Got to run through here because I'm barely out of the Atlantic now. I mean, they still have Huberdeau, Barkov. They just got Hornquist. They, Connolly, Vetrano, and Alex Wenberg. Alex Wenberg, I'm sorry, one year at 2.25. They get him away from the Columbus Blue Jackets. 
who which was a buyout that they got from last season. Last season, yes. Yes, they bought him out and they re-signed him. Right? No. Yes. No. Maybe so. Where did Alex know? They got Alex Wimberg. Yeah, from Columbus. I'm losing my mind here, guys. Sorry. I'm looking at his cap friendly. It got really confusing for a second. Florida's going to be a little bit tougher. I just think if they get the right pieces together, Bill Zito has obviously has come out and said, they haven't re-signed Evgeny Dadinov yet, but he's come out and said that everyone, it seems like everyone but Barkov and Bobrovsky are up for discussion, which makes it interesting because I wonder what Quinville's saying to Bill Zito, saying, hey, I like this guy. Of course, I'm sure Quinville would like a lot of players, but obviously it's getting them to come to Florida to go play for the Panthers is the tough part. I like the what, but I like what Bill Zito's doing. He's being active. He's not just sitting back and trying to figure out what his team is. He's going right in there and saying, listen, I've seen you guys. You guys have talent, but we got to get better and right in some parts. That's why you sign experienced defense, and you add a couple pieces up front that could maybe add, add some depth for you and give your top guys a little bit of a reprieve. That's where I like where Florida's at. Moving on down now to the Toronto Maple Leafs. We talked about Boston doing a little bit, Buffalo doing a little bit. Ottawa has not done any big signings yet. Obviously signing a guy like Matt Murray, that's going to take up a good chunk of change for you. Am I missing anyone else? Montreal hasn't done anything. Neither has Tampa, at least nothing notable. So Toronto's the last team here. They get TJ Brody for four years. I know it sounds like a lot because he's old, but $1.25 million. That's not a lot against the cap, guys. Even if he's your third-pairing defenseman, having that 1.25, I'm okay with. So I'm okay with TJ Brody signing. Then you get bigger guys. Well, then you get Zach Bogosian for one year at $1 million. Right-handed defense, tough guy. You couldn't get Gudis, you get Bogosian. Stanley Cup winner. Played some pretty big minutes after being, listen, he got bought out by Buffalo. I understand that, but he still played some big minutes on that third pairing for the Lightning this year. I like where he's at, and I think that he'll be a good piece for them. And the big one, and I say the big one because it's Wayne Train. Wayne Train, Wayne Simmons, Scarborough boy. No move clause, but one year, though, $1.5 million. There you go. The Leafs fans, Leafs nation asked for toughness. You got toughness. You have Simmons. You got Brody. You got Bogosian. You wanted toughness? You got tough. Yeah, you had feistiness with Kapanen and Janssen. But now you have toughness. And now we're going to see if it actually works. Because it's not just a guy like David Clarkson coming in and trying to be tough because he didn't do anything. Now these are guys, and because people expect him to both be tough and produce. That didn't work, obviously. Now we're looking at a hockey club that is supposed to be tough now. All right. Let's jump to what's my next one? We went to Buffalo. Let's go to the. Metro Division, Carolina signed Jesper Foss, three years, $2 million. Not a bad contract for another decent player. Carolina, I don't know if Don Waddell is going to do any more big moves. Obviously, you have Sveshnikov, you have Sebastian Aho, you have the talent still there. They just ran to Boston once again, and that's tough. I mean, they played a little bit better, I thought, but we still see, I think that's just for them, young growing pains. You still have good goaltending, Mrazek and Reimer. You want to be a little bit more developed with Nedlovich and all that. So I think that's what they're going to try to focus on, maybe. But I like where they're at still. So just adding a guy like Jesper Fast, a depth player that you can insert into the lineup whenever you need it, that's going to be good for Carolina. Columbus, obviously they get Max Domi. That's a big move. But the pain in the derriere for me of this one, folks, Miko Koivu. <sighs> 
He signed with them. Same with those, you know, those 2,000 expansion teams. Miko Koivu signed a one-year $1.5 million. Hmm. That's, it sucks. I, it, for me, once again, that's a thing because he played for Minnesota for so long. He was the, the, one of the longest-term captains for the team. I believe he was the longest captain for Miko, for Miko Koivu. So it sucks to see him go, and it sucks to see him sign with a different team. But obviously, that's the nature of the business. He thinks he can still play, and Columbus would like a little bit of depth on their, on their center. So why not give him a go? Moving on down now to stay in the Metro, New Jersey. New Jersey. Well, they bought out Corey Schneider, and their goaltending, they kept, you know, they kept Scott Wedgwood. He's still around. Mackenzie Blackwood is still pretty young. So what do they get? They end up getting Corey Crawford. Two years, $3.9 million per. You know, and that I think this is mainly a contract to, hey, let's get a guy that can play NHL minutes, but also be there to kind of help bring along Mackenzie Blackwood because he's not there yet. He's good. He's not there yet, Devils fans. And I like this move because, like I said, once again, you only have two years of Corey Crawford. This is not a five-year you know, deal with Corey Crawford. This is, hey, Corey, just give us a couple years. Blackwood will be the starter by then. We'll see what we get you from there. Because you're going to want a goaltender because obviously Schneider was nowhere near an angel goaltender anymore. Apologies. Great on commentary. Did a lot of great stuff with NBC during the playoffs. I'll tell you that. But I like this move because you get a goaltender that can give you good starts throughout the season. He's not the Corey Crawford from this cup years, I know. He looked really good again in, that, in that series against Vegas, really helped Chicago compete against the Knights, but obviously he's not the same Crawford, but he'll still give you good starts. Obviously, and I think New Jersey will be a little bit stronger this year. I, I'd like to think so. i like to think they have a little bit more pizzazz, but we'll just have to wait and see with what New Jersey does. The Rangers, not doing squat after signing Alexi Lafreniere, However, they do get Jack Johnson for a year for a million dollars, so we'll see how that one goes. I, you know, it that that's a contract because you know you get rid of Mark Stahl, so I guess you just have to fill the roster spot. You're not obviously you don't have to pay Mark Stahl money, so it's, I guess that's okay. But Jack Johnson moves on now to the Rangers, Pittsburgh. A couple of small contracts. Obviously, the Leafs were not going to re-sign Evan Rodriguez, so they get him back for seven hundred thousand dollars and Mark Jankowski. Obviously, Pittsburgh not looking to spend a whole lot of money. They don't have a whole lot to spend. So they're just trying to stay competitive. Like I said, they got Kapanen. They have Tristan Jari. This will give Casey DeSmith a great opportunity to play some more NHL minutes as well. Makes me wonder what the heck they're going to do down in Wilkes-Barre with their goaltending, but I, you know, that means to be foreseen in there. The last one, the Washington Capitals. You know, when I mentioned the fact that they re-signed Brendan Dillon, I said, I'm like, okay, maybe they'll be a little bit tougher. They had Justin Schultz, who is not a bad defenseman, two years at $4 million for Justin Schultz, and Trevor Van Riemsdyk, one year at 800 grand. Okay, so defense was obviously a question mark. They still have Johnny Carlson, obviously. Still good there. But obviously, what about the goaltending? They have Ilya Samsonov, who seems to be this up-and-coming prospect who has a lot of potential. So they signed Henrik Lundqvist, one year, $1.5 million. I wonder what Obviously, he's going to be. I feel like he'll be the one B in this scenario, unless they, unless Washington thinks he's going to be their guy, which I'm pretty sure now it makes Carolina not even want to play the Washington Capitals even more. Now they have Henrik Lundqvist, who just seems to beat him all the time. Washington, I, I'm interested to see what they're going to, how they're going to play out now, because they have 
two goaltenders. They have a young, promising goaltender and now an established older goaltender who, yes, who's not the same Henrik Lundqvist from half a decade ago, but I digress. He's still good, and now their defense is a little bit stronger, I think. TVR obviously was starting to go on his way out with Carolina. I get that. Science back with the division, the team that beat him quite often, except for the playoffs, seemed like. So I'm interested to see what, I mean, Washington, I, I, I don't, unless, unless the Islanders figure out a, to how to play a full, consistent, regular season, I don't see how Washington doesn't win the division this year. I don't think Carolina's ready to make that jump yet. Pittsburgh's not going to be strong enough. The New York teams are not going to be, either the Rangers or the Devils, I don't, they're not going to be there yet. So Washington still has a great chance to win the division. Unless Philadelphia, who has been extremely quiet over the past few days, unless Philadelphia has another great season. Philadelphia, I think if they put it together again like they did last season, no question in my mind that Philadelphia wins the division. Because don't forget, if that season had gone 82 games, guys, I'm pretty sure Philly would have won last year. They would have won the Metro, and they wouldn't, well, they would have, well, they still were the top team coming out of the play, or the qualifying round, or the round robin in the qualifying round, excuse me. Beat Montreal, just ran into a really good team. Tampa team. That's all it was. That that was the long and the short of it for Philadelphia last season. Moving to the Central Division. Make sure I get this right here. Central Division. Yes. Uh, where am I here? No one in the Central except for okay, there we go. Only a couple teams making headway. Actually, four of them are. I forget they're all in the bottom. I'm going out. I have to now I'm skipping around on my list here. Cam Talbot to the Minnesota Wild. Dang it. <laughs> I say dang it because I really thought Alex Stalock was going to get the shot, you know? I thought he's going to get his time to be a starting goaltender. Billy Garen apparently just does not listen to me or like what I ever have to say because he goes out and gets Cam Talbot three years at $3.6666666666667 million. All right. You have a starting goaltender, Minnesota. We saw it. Talbot can still be a number one goaltender. We saw that in the playoffs. I really, I mean... Big save Dave is obviously going to be the guy in Calgary now. I just wonder what the... Well, pardon me. I said that. Now I just realized who they signed. We'll get to that in a minute. But Cam Talbot, I like it because I want Minnesota. This team may be a fringe playoff team again, but now they have the goaltending to do it to be a team that can make the playoffs. So I'll be interested to see what they do. Nashville, Mark Borietsky. Two years, $2 million. Well, uh, the... The longtime Ottawa Senator finally he gets a payday. No, he's he gets an opportunity to go to a new home, following in steps of all uh, one Mike Fisher, who got dragged out of Ottawa by his wife. I mean traded, but that's neither here nor there. Good to see Borowski getting a deal. Matt Benning, because the National Predators seem to be trying to bolster their defense a little bit with experience. Matt Benning, two years at one million dollars a piece. So Nashville, I'm not saying they're going to be good, but they are trying stuff. They're they're adding they're adding bodies to the back end. Whether or not that makes them good or bad remains to be foreseen. The St. Louis Blues. Kyle, well, this one broke earlier today on this Sunday. Kyle Clifford, two years at a million dollars. And where you what you lost in Patrick Maroon, you get back in here in Kyle Clifford. And I'm mad, I'm I'm a little disappointed the Leafs didn't try to make a good run at him because we saw with Clifford last year. He added that much-needed toughness to the team. Now they obviously added more with guys like Simmons and Brody and Bogosian. But the Blues get a guy that I think they really missed out on last season. They needed a little bit more physicality, a little bit more toughness, and they're going to add a little bit more to their defense 
with Tory Krug, seven years, $6.5 million. Suck it, Boston! Out of all the guys, because the funny thing is, you look at that contract, that dollar amount, that sounds like something he would have signed with the Boston Bruins because it sounds like a very cat-friendly deal for a defenseman of his caliber. Anyone who gets a guy like Tory Krug at 6.5 is great. You would have thought that's what would have been Boston's number for him. It's not a big pay raise, but clearly there's got to be something behind this. I'd like to hear the story behind Tory Krug's decision. Unless Boston was just straight up not going to offer him anything, because that's only a five hundred grand raise, right? If I'm not mistaken, he only he was only making six million dollars last season. Let's quick check this out here. Let's jump back in. Care friendly, we're St. Louis. There we are. Reason why I was saying, I'm like, oh man, nothing's happened in the Central because Chicago and Dallas have not made any real big moves right now. Tory Krug, who is tied with Justin Falk for the longest contract on the or the biggest contract, longest contracts. Pardon me, he was making five two five, so he's a million more raise, but. You would think with Tory Krug, he was going to be looking at $8 million. That's what we were all talking about. That's why we thought if he's going to stay in Boston, it's going to be a 6 to $7 million contract because they need to obviously save space for the continuing future. And that's what, but it seems like Boston's always been able to pull that off. Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, Pasternak. And we thought Krug was going to follow suit. But yet, he goes to St. Louis for less than what his value is at. So that's why it makes this all very interesting because I was waiting to see, oh, Terry Krug signs with St. Louis. I'm like, oh, they they gave him what they were going to give Petrangelo. This is what is less than what Petrangelo was going to get with the Blues. This is what's less than what Petrangelo is going to make with another team when he signs with them because by the time you probably watch some Monday night on 12-ounce sports, he probably already signed. But... That is a very interesting story I'd like to hear. Because now, St. Louis, who will all look like all signs are pointing towards them falling off the cliff. Louis Petrangelo, Bennington sucks. This whole team's going to go down the stuff. Jake Allen, you don't have a backup goaltender anymore. Now it's just Jordan Bennington. Yeah, Tory Krug. Had a little toughness in Clifford. St. Louis will still be there, guys. St. Louis will still be there. Are they a cup favorite? I don't know. I have to watch the regular season next year to tell me that I preseason. No, I don't say, I don't think so, but I'm not going to count them out though. When they had a top caliber defenseman like Tory Krug, Winnipeg, they stayed active and they stayed relevant with signing Lucas Pisa defenseman for one year, 800 K and Nate Thompson, adding a little bit of depth to their centers one year, 750 K and how much time we at here. I've got about five minutes here to run through the, well, I got a little over five minutes, I think, right? Yeah, we'll just say five minutes for, for stuffs and funds. Go to the Pacific Division now. We did mention Anaheim, Kevin Shattenkirk. Edmonton Oilers were pretty active. They did, like I said, we, they signed Anton Forsberg to a cheap contract, probably going to be in the minors in Bakersfield. Like I said, once again, call up. They pick up Kyle Turris after he was bought out by the National Predators. Two years at $1.65 million. Not a cheap or not an expensive contract. Once again, this is a deal. I'm like, hey, we know what you can do. You obviously couldn't do it in Nashville. If you do this, we can offer you more. I still think Kyle Turris has more than Tank. I just don't. He just it just didn't click in Nashville. It. I'm sorry. Not everyone can be Mike Fisher and have good numbers in Ottawa and then go down to Nashville and still be a good player. Listen, 
Nashville hot chicken doesn't save everybody. You, Peyton Turns even agrees with me that Nashville hot chicken, it's, it's fascist. No, it's not fascist. It's, it's not apparently as good as it is. I'm sorry. I need a drink here. Yeah, starting to my throat starting to get a little dry. So great move by Edmonton to pick up tourists. Jesse Pugliarvi comes back over from overseas. He signs for two years at $1.175 million. He left, obviously, a lot of controversy behind that. Obviously, a lot of bad taste with the previous regime. He gets an opportunity now. Not the previous regime. That was with Ken Holland. But he gets an opportunity now to come back to a team that's obviously started to figure things out. And I think he can add that extra little bit that Edmonton was missing out on. You always have the big two of McDavid and Dreisaitl. Good Lord, Tyler. That was, that was a brain fart. You have Nuge for another year, and you can add Pugliarvi. I'm like, hey, prove yourself. Once again, two years from now, you can bump up that money. Show if you can actually be the player that everyone thinks you can be. And yes, you'll get your payday. And the big one is Tyson Berry. And I can't go on it too long because we are running out of time here today. Tyson Berry, one year at 3.75. These reports that people are saying that he left money on the table, I know these are my accredited, these are my insiders. All right, these are my big name guys. Dreger, LeBron, everyone was saying they left money off the table. I still cry BS on that one. I don't, I don't think Tyson Berry was worth $7 million or $6 million, whatever they were saying that he could have made. I don't see him as that kind of a defenseman anymore. His value went so far down. Because, and listen, I know it's the, the, the Leafs were just all sorts of out of whack with defense last year. I just would like to figure out that if this team's actually good enough, like if the Oilers were that good that he left money on the table, unless it was only like awful teams offering him a lot of money, like say the Wings offered him six mil or New Jersey's offered him six mil. Okay, but I don't think any competitive contending team was offering six million or seven million dollars. That's my take on all this. So 3.75 for a year is literally like, all right, I need to be able to get back up. That's why, like, if this was like a five-year contract, it'd been different. But the fact they signed for one year for 3.75 just shows me in reality that, hey, you're not worth $6 million, but you have one year to bump up your stock again. I don't believe the BS about him actually being a top-end defenseman anymore. He was talented. He put up great numbers with Colorado, but the system he played in allowed that. Kale McCarr is taking Tyson Berry's spot right now. I'm just saying. I don't know if Kale McCarr will work anywhere else, but it's working in Colorado. I'm not saying it wouldn't work anywhere else, but I'm just saying. Tyson Berry is not worth $6 million. Just end that conversation now. Calgary. Big spenders this week here, guys. Chris Tanev at four years, $4.5 million. Pulling away from Vancouver. That's not the only guy they get from Vancouver. Adding a little bit more depth on defense. Played some pretty big minutes. Had, to, had a couple of gas in the playoffs that were pretty big, especially since they were the playoffs. But has a lot of upside to him as a right-handed shot defenseman. you got to like where he's at. Add a little toughness. Keep the toughness with Zach Ronaldo. One year at 700K. And the big move. Jacob Markstrom. Six years, $6 million. Is that not the worst contract? Making sure who we got left here. I think we only got one more team to talk about here. Yes. One more team that had a big signing. That was Vancouver. Well, yeah, the team that lost him. This is the worst contract because Braden Holpe signs with Vancouver for two years, $4.3 million. I'll just say it now because it's obviously a pretty well-known contract. 
I like what Vancouver gets because they keep a, a number one goaltender and Demko doesn't have to be thrown to the Wolves yet. But quickly here before we go off the air, it's the worst contract because six years, because Markstrom is not young, guys. This would have been a great contract to sign four years ago, but that was when Markstrom wasn't worth $6 million. And yes, he is worth $6 million now, but the fact that you sign him for six years, this is a Bobrovsky, but like a little bit less. Here's Bobrovsky signing for seven million, seven years for $10 million. Markstrom's right here. Carey Price is both beneath both of them in terms of bad contracts. This contract looks horrible. They may win 40 games next, or they may win, they may win 50 games next season, guys. Calgary will. They may win 45 the year after that. They are going to lose a lot because Markstrom's going to get older. The team's going to get way older. Johnny Gaudreau's still not going to produce in the postseason, and it's going to be a waste of a contract. I like the fact that they add a number one goaltender who can prove that he's a number one goaltender, but I just don't like the contract for the term that they're giving him. That is my problem with this, guys. I don't like it because of how long they're going to pay him for. But that is it for this one here on this very packed show of the Keyless Show. Hopefully it's not as well. It's still, it'll still be packed the week after because we got a guest coming up on the 19th. We'll definitely talk about that later on this week. Thank you all very much for watching today's show of the Keyless Show, whether you're watching it on the recording on the Keyless Show YouTube channel or listening on the favorite podcatcher or watching it live on Monday night. Even though I didn't watch it live, you're just watching it streaming on Monday night on 12 Ounce Sports. We'll be back next week. Be sure to use the hashtag TKS at the Cule Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you all very much. I am your host, the Insider of the Insiders, Tyler Cule, saying so long, and we'll see you next week here on the Cule Show. Goodbye. Goodbye.